And welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. It's our top 10 of 2023 show. So let me welcome in my co-host, starting with Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? Greetings and salutations, list lovers. Yeah, yeah, doing pretty well. Finally feeling like myself after my bouts of uh, COVID and family tragedies and employment tragedies and everything else. So um, I'm just glad 2023 is over. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely uh, an interesting year for horror, um, and we'll get into that soon. Probably everyone, when they start with their list, they can give like a 2023 spiel if they want. Interestingly enough, though, like I will say for like non-horror, the last two months really had some good movies. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I won't be mentioning them on today's show because. None of them are horror, but uh, just for movies overall, I thought the end of the year was strong. But, uh, yeah, uh, I will now introduce our other co-host, uh, Donna Nelly. What's up, Don? Yeah, what's going on? Always happy to be here and uh, always happy for a top ten list if you know me. So, <laughs> Yeah, all right. So, as I said, uh, no uh, full uh, movie review tonight because it is our top sh- uh, 10 show, and we'll probably also have like uh, some honorable mentions to go over later on. But uh, yeah, not much of an intro <laughs> for this show because it just by way of giving our list, uh, it's going to be a longer than usual uh, running time. Uh, at least it always has been so far, so I'm just predicting it. Um, and we usually do round robin style where. Uh, uh, we rotate as far as going through, and uh, so I guess there's really no further reason to delay, so I guess we can get right into it. Venom, like usual, I'll kick it to you first, so if you want, I mean, before you get into your number 10, you can all, if you want to just say anything you have to say about the year as a whole, you can, but uh, the floor is yours, Venom. Well, I tried not to be a naysayer. When it comes to horror years, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about this year is weaker than that year. Um, You're not going to hear things like that from me. Uh, I watch enough horror movies every year that I watch some great films. And I always, you know, I find the stuff that maybe isn't playing in theaters. Uh, And and to look at my list, I mean, um, about half of the movies on here did not get theatrical releases. And, you know, so th- there's a lot of, like, hidden gems that some people might miss. Is this year as strong as 2018? I, I guess objectively no. I-, I guess we have to obje- objectively say no. But ultimately, like I said, I seek out all the horror that I can find, all the horror-adjacent stuff, thrillers, creature features, things like that. And I, by the end of the year, never have a major problem coming up with 10 movies. I will say 
for whatever it's worth because I'm sure I'm sure people are just waiting for me to hear hear me say something negative about 2023. So I guess here it is. Um, this is the first year that I have a movie under an 8.5 in my top 10. Um, I, as I look, because I have I still have all my top 10 lists. I, I started podcasting in 2016. And, you know, looking back on all my lists, for the most part, it's almost always 8.5 and above. And this year, you know, call it a weaker year, whatever you want to go with, but I do have two specific movies on my list that are only eights. And I still love both of those movies, too. I mean, they're in my top ten. If they're in my top ten, they obviously spoke to me in some way, shape, or form. So, I, I'm just trying to buck the trend of every single podcaster saying, oh, 2023 was a weak year and blah, blah, blah. You're not going to hear me say things like that, folks. I try to find the positive in everything. And until the year that I literally can't find 10 movies after watching 100 plus movies every year, if I can't find 10 movies that deserve to be on a top 10, that'll be the year you hear me complain about horror. Until then, I am here for it. I, you know, if I got to do a little bit of searching to find those hidden gems, I have no problem with it. All three of us have lots of friends in the community who can get us movies, um, you know, and get us screeners and things like that. So, you know, I, if you guys want to speak on the strength of maybe theatrical horror, you're welcome to. Um, but for the most part, I, I try not to be a naysayer. I try not to be negative, unless a movie really pisses me off, which <laughs> if you've been listening long enough, you know that happens more often than I'd like. But um, when it comes to the year, there are, I mean, there's a few movies here that I absolutely adore that will go down as all-time favorites. Um, my top three movies are are all tens to me, which you know, is about standard. Usually my top two or three movies in my top ten are going to be ten out of tens. Uh, this year, no different. All th- My top three, again, are ten out of tens. And even my number four, I would call a 9.5 because I absolutely adore that one, too. So, um, you know. Like I said, I, I'm probably not giving people what they want to hear, the naysayer, the negative stuff, uh, but I'm sure Don and Michael have plenty of that for everybody. So I'm just going to say I enjoyed 2023 from a horror standpoint. Um, obviously, I had a lot of changes and tragedies and things like that in my life towards the end of the year, which you know made the overall year maybe not as much of a success as I'd like, but... For whatever it's worth, when it came to horror movies, I was never at a loss for something to watch. Even the last couple of weeks where we're trying to cram in all those, you know, uh, list-worthy potential movies, um, I still am, you know, very happy with the list I put together. I actually, (laughs) I just finished watching my rewatches today, and it knocked my number 10 off the list. I actually have a new number 10 that wasn't in my top 10 for most of the year, but after watching, rewatching all of my top 13 films, uh, I'm very happy with the list that I have, and, you know, I, I'll fight for it. So, yeah, overall, I enjoyed 2023 uh, as far as, the, uh, as, far as uh, films and uh, theatrical releases and things like that. So I'll leave it at that. Um, so I guess I'll just go ahead and jump into my top 10. Uh, let's see my and as I just mentioned, uh, my number ten going into today was talk to me. 
I know that's a movie that's probably going to be discussed uh, on this show. It's it's being discussed on pretty much every top ten that I've listened to so far. Uh, a few people even have it as their number one movie. It is a great movie. I will not take anything away from it. Very original, very, you know, great performances, very likable characters, things like that. But my number ten, uh, as I watched it today, it reminded me why I love this movie so much when it first came out. And admittedly, this is a movie that came out at the beginning of the year. I don't remember the exact release date. I want to say something like February or March, potentially. It was one of the first movies of the year that I remember really leaving an impression for me. And <laughs> making his return to my horror top ten for the first time since 2016, it is Mr. M. Night Shyamalan, and of course the movie is Knock at the Cabin. This is a movie that I have not seen on anyone's top ten list. A couple of, you know, maybe uh, websites have had it in their top ten, but usually when they do a top ten horror list, it's, it's just the theatrical releases and the stuff that can easily be found on streaming. So I tend not to give those lists too much merit. But yeah, when it comes to podcasters and people that I respect, no one has Knock at the Cabin in their top ten. But watching it today, this movie is tension from beginning to end. I mean, within the first three minutes of the film, when Batista shows up, the tension never lets up. Who is this big, hulking stranger talking to this, you know, innocent little Asian girl? And from there, like I said, the tension never, ever lets up. I absolutely love this story. I went back and read the book, or at least most of the book, uh, after the movie came out, and I actually agree with the changes that M. Night Shyamalan made. The book has a, a very different ending than what we got here, a much more ambiguous, open-ended ending, if you will, whereas the movie gives us just a, a good, solid culmination to the story. You know, there, there's no ambigu ambiguity, there's no mystery, you know, you know what are, you know where our characters are going after this, blah, blah, blah. So um, performances, I mean, this is Dave Bautista's best performance, bar none. I absolutely love him as Leonard in this film. I think all four of our horsemen in, in this film all do an incredible job. It's great to see uh, Rupert Grint, uh, who played Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter movies, actually taking a harder edge with his acting style now, now so that, that's refreshing. Um, but yeah, overall, I know this is something that I was higher on. I, I remember from when we reviewed this on Fresh Cuts, I was higher on it than I think most people were. But watching it today for the first time in close to 10 months, it reminded me why this movie really moved me the first time I saw it, that it, it, it rekindled that great feeling of having watched a, an amazing piece of cinema so, yeah, welcome back, M. Night Shyamalan. We'll see how long you stay here because you seem to be very hit or miss. You know, ever since your first couple of movies, you're very hit or miss. But when you do it right, I will absolutely give you credit for it. So, yeah, that is my number 10, M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin. All right. We're kicked off. So, Don... Uh, let's get to your number 10, and if you want to say anything about 2023 as a whole, now's the time. Sure. Um, so yeah, first of all, um, for the year as a whole, I absolutely loved it. Um, I mean, I, I think I probably would be the one out of the three of us that watches the most, 
just because of my, you know, other job uh, on my website, just, you know, the amount of other films I'm contacted with or uh, the production companies that uh, I'm in contact with. I I would probably say I I see the most out of everybody. And, yeah, I I, I can't disagree anymore. I had an absolutely fantastic time with uh, the majority of the stuff that I saw out here. Um, whether it was, you know, the bottom of the barrel production value indie film or mainstream quality cinema. I, I can't really recall a whole lot of films that I was really disappointed in. Um, there was a few that I I, I didn't care for that, uh, you know, you, you find that every year. But uh, as a whole, I, I can say I, I truly had a fun time this year. Uh, including the fact that uh, I actually came back with uh, 10 out of 10s for um, the first time, I think, since 2021. Or, wait, 2022, yeah, because that was the sadness. Because, uh, yeah, last year there was no 10s. Um, yeah, that was uh, the first time, yeah, because uh, last year there was no 10s, and this year um, there were three 10 out of 10s for me, just like Venom, but... Uh, Tonight we'll only discuss two of them because one is not on the show, which is the uh, next thing I'm going to say. As uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to discuss the third one. <laughs> no, you won't. Oh, really? No, oh, won't. okay. Surprising. No, you won't. Yeah, no, you won't. Um, well, I'll say this right now. Um, the third 10 out of 10 that we – the third 10 out of 10 for me is Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, the uh, the fact that I'm uh, mentioning that one and uh, why it's not on my list, even though it's going to be 10 out of 10, is uh, for those that don't know, because of my outside endeavors, I don't include my full top 10 of the year um, when we do this show. I do top 10 of the sh- uh, films that were covered. So uh, only the 50-some-odd um, episodes that we release during the year is uh, the pool that I select from. So... Uh, I, I still have another couple of weeks for um, other stuff just because there's um, other outside categories that um, I have to prep for, um, you know, stuff like best slasher, best uh, female directed horror, best uh, zombie film, best found footage, best, you know, horror comedy, it's, uh, stuff like that. So there's a, a few extra categories and lists that I, I pull up and, um, you know, you can find them on my webpage uh, or on my Facebook page. Uh, they're, going to be pretty easy to find if you know where to look. So uh, if you're interested, that's where uh, my full lists are going to be, uh, including my genuine top ten of the year, which, uh, spoiler alert, I just gave you one away for free. <laughs> um, and uh, you're going to get the other two later on tonight because uh, both of those were covered on the show. But, yeah, uh, like I said, as a whole, I, I saw so much that um, I, I really enjoyed. Um a lot of very high-ranked films, uh, you know, a lot of eights, a lot of nines, and like I said, uh, three tens, which uh, is a great surprise because we didn't get any last year for me, even though I, I did see two that were 9.5, so they were just right there, but didn't didn't quite get over the hurdle. But, um, yeah, overall, I can say that I, I really enjoyed it. Great, uh, you know, Collection, no matter where we got them from, like I said, either they're bottom of the barrel indie films or, uh, you know, mid range, you know, not necessarily something that's going to, you know, show up on, you know, Shutter or Hulu or Netflix, but, you know, they're out there if you're willing to, you know, search around on, you know, uh, not necessarily unsavory sites, but 
you know, alternative sites, you know, like your, you know, Voodoo rentals or your iTunes rentals or Amazon Prime rentals, you know, stuff like that, that, you know, maybe not necessarily you, you, you didn't think of would be fun, but uh, if you give them a chance, they're, you know, surprising for what they are all the way up to, you know, the big high end mainstream blockbusters that um, are, you know, everybody's filled out their theaters, you know, theater cards or, you know, whatever payment plan you have to see these kinds of stuff. So, yeah, um, like I said, just a whole lot of fun stuff this year, a lot of great under-the-radar stuff, a lot of good, uh, you know, theatrical releases. And I'm going to start that off with uh, my number 10. Uh, This was one that uh, I really enjoyed. It's nothing original. It's nothing creative or unique. It's uh, pretty much by the numbers, uh, you can, you know, practically play a drinking game with it. And uh, I had a, you know, great time with everything here. So my number 10 is The Pope's Exorcist. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, a lot of fun, uh, you know, hits every exorcism trope uh, so heavily that it's uh, impossible to miss. But that doesn't make it, uh, you know, not a fun time. It's, uh, you know, it's got a fun storyline. There's some great performances in there fun final act that, uh, you know, goes a little bit further than where I had originally intended it to be. Uh, the demon's motivation for possessing, possessing the kid uh, wasn't where I thought it was going to go. So that was a uh, fun time there, but uh, yeah, overall I, I definitely had a fun time with it and uh, you know, not anything original. It's not, you know, going to top the exorcist, but yeah, it was a good time, and uh, I enjoyed it. So uh, number 10 for me is The Pope's Exorcist. All right. Russell Crowe, never a bad time with him. <laughs> well, uh, don't, don't say never. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he he turned in a, a good performance the previous year, too. I forgot. I, I can't even remember the name of the movie. Unhinged. Anymore, but it was like the one that started with the road rage. Yeah. Unhinged. <clears throat> Yeah, that, that one was a fun one. All right, so for me, yeah, 2023, I think it started slow. But as I was putting together my list, I didn't really have a problem putting together a top 10. I will say, like, one of, one of the similarities between this year and last year was I kind of get to, like, the last half of my list, and I feel like a lot of, uh, like, maybe my 7, 8, 9, 10s, are close to like my honorable mentions uh, because I, I haven't listened to a lot of people's uh, or a lot of shows yet doing their top tens because a lot of them haven't been put out yet. But a lot of uh, but the few that I have heard, like their honorable mentions might be like my last half of my list, and then my honorable mentions are on their list. There's just a lot of. Uh, a lot of overlap there, whereas my like my top five, I would say, is like really really strong to me. So you know, I I think the year is definitely salvageable. It, it's been an, uh, an okay year. Um, I just think for me, it's been really top heavy. Um, but it is what it is. I I've still been plenty entertained with horror this year. So let's see, my number ten. This one is one I haven't really heard talk talked about a lot. I want to say 
we uh, I might have mentioned it on the main show um, in the what we watch segment because I can't remember I I meant to like look over our complete list of fresh cuts episodes like right before recorded but I, I didn't get a chance to. You should have asked I don't me. Think I we did this one. You should have asked me. I keep everything stored away for this specific occasion. All right. Well, once I name it, all you can say if we did it or not. But my number ten is. A movie I discovered on Tubi, although Tubi doesn't get full credit because it's not it's not a Tubi original. It just I don't know how Tubi landed the rights to it because it's like as I was watching it, it seemed like it would have been a good candidate for like a Shutter or a Screenbox to get. But uh, my number ten was or is Resurrected, and this is kind of like a hybrid screen horror slash kind of found footage it's kind of a mix of both it's not your typical screen horror where a hundred percent of it is someone sitting in front of a a laptop or a desktop uh there is plenty of that in the movie but it kind of intercuts with like news footage and and stuff happening uh around the world uh i i was drawn into this story from the beginning, I like the way it unfolded. Again, like I don't know how much spoilers we should give away. You technically, you know, this one's been out for almost a year. But basically, the setup is that the Catholic Church figured out a way to resurrect people one time after death to kind of give them a second chance at life. What could go wrong doing that, right? Um, so I won't get into like how everything unfolds, but I thought there was a good mystery. I thought there was a good twist. Of course, I mean. When you're dealing with the Catholic Church, it's not a surprise that there's going to be corruption involved in the story, cover, you know, cover up stuff. Um, the the one movie I considered for my list that ended up kind of an honorable mention was um, uh, Missing, which was kind of like similar to Searching. But the reason I went with this over it because I thought there was a little more to this than your typical screen time uh, movie where uh, Missing was like really like your standard just person at computer the whole time. But uh, yeah, this, you know, this one, it's a a small cast. It's really based on whether you get into the story or not. I know some people that the story wasn't for them or just didn't grab them. And I understand it because with this genre, to me, it's like really 100% almost dependent on if the story hooks you in or not, it definitely hooked me in, and I actually rewatched it because I I, I was kind of doubting myself uh, when I was putting it in my list because I was like, did I just like it because I had zero expectations going in? Because you know, Tubi, you know, you don't necessarily have any expectations. But after rewatching, I was like, no, I actually really, really enjoyed it. So my number ten is Resurrected, and uh, back to Venom for number nine. Yeah, I liked Resurrected. I I can't say that I loved it. I think all of the uh, you know the espionage elements and you know the the the, the Vatican conspiracy and all that kind of turned me off to it. Like the basic story, I was into, like all the resurrection stuff and and the third act, I thought was really really entertaining. But I don't know, just the story did lose me periodically. And I love religious horror, you know? I mean, <laughs> people know I, I, I love to see the Catholic Church get their comeuppance in any kind of movie, but uh, this one was just a step below where it needed to be to hit my top ten, at least for me. But it is a very good movie, and I do highly recommend it. And it is surprising because it is on Tubi, um, even though it's not a Tubi original, thankfully. Okay, anyway, for my number nine, 
we are going to travel to South Korea. Uh, this is a film that some people, there's actually a pretty big discussion in the community on whether they want to call this horror or not. For me, this is a Frankenstein story. And if you're going to give me a Frankenstein story with this much violence and just brutal, gratuitous death, I am absolutely going to call this uh, a horror film. And as such, I was thoroughly entertained by this film. The first half of the movie with all the just action sequences and great fighting and and over-the-top kills are really, really entertaining. But then about halfway through the movie when the horror element is introduced, it just turns into absolute Disneyland for gorehounds. And I totally was on board for it. So... My number one horror film of 2023 is going to be Project Wolf Hunting. I just watched this. I mean, I recently rewatched all my top 13, but I watched this one a couple of days ago, and I swear I had an ear-to-ear grin from beginning to end. This movie is endlessly entertaining, endlessly brutal, um, just... Uh, it's hard to say if the ending is as satisfactory as it could have been. Um, I feel like Alpha's story ended a little bit too soon, and then we don't really get a whole lot from Alpha's quote-unquote brother towards the end of the movie. So I would have liked the ending to be a little bit less ambiguous, but for whatever it's worth, this is an amazing journey, so much fun. If you're a gore hound, you know, especially if, you, if it's more about realistic gore, where it's more about brutal stabbings and breaking of limbs and things like that, necks breaking, uh, this one just checks all those boxes for me. So, yeah, my number one is Project Wolf Hunting. Unfortunately, something we did not do on Fresh Cuts, but uh, that, which is really too bad. It, it happens every year, you know. We're, we're going to miss movies on Fresh Cuts because they're – you know, either releasing the same week as another big theatrical American horror title that we kind of have to, you know, if Saw X, if a new Saw movie is out, we have to review it. You know, there's just certain franchises that we have to do. I'm not saying Saw is the movie that, you know, blocked Project Wolf Hunting. I'm just using it as an example. But yeah, sadly, Project Wolf Hunting is one of those ones that kind of got lost in the VOD shuffle while we were still dealing with theatrical horror. So yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Number nine, Project Wolf Hunting. I love it. Same here. I, I had it on my list as well when it came out last year. So, yeah, good stuff. I, I really liked it as well. Maybe five, maybe ten minutes too long, but uh, I, I, I'm not bothered in the slightest. Yeah. All right. All right. Dawn yeah. number nine. Um, so, yeah, uh, my number nine. Uh, this one was another one that uh, – I kind of had to put it on my list for um, obvious reasons. Um, those of you who know me will know my uh, love for this type of uh, particular genre. And it's uh, well represented by a worthwhile film that I absolutely enjoyed. And even though it may not necessarily feel like much of a horror film for much of its running time uh, as a film, I'm definitely on board with it. And uh, I absolutely look forward to more of this kind of uh, insanity when it uh continues on later on in the franchise, which uh, makes my number nine Meg to the Trench. Um, Yeah, I I realize that uh, a lot of people are put off by the action movie middle of the film, but um, I grew up an action movie fan, so shoot-em-ups are definitely in my kind of wheelhouse, so I I was thoroughly entertained, even though um, Big Meg was not on screen. 
But then when she came on screen, ooh boy, I was in heaven. Uh, some of my favorite shark action uh, ever put the screen. Uh, so much fun. Wild third act. Um, maybe a little wonky to get there. But like I said, uh, you know, the first half is kind of a little goofy and, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily feature the shark much in the second act. But nah, I, I was thoroughly entertained. I had tons of fun with it. It's, uh, you know, fun action movie, wild ride, you know, with a creature in the middle of it. And you see Jason Statham kick a shark in the face. So, I mean, I'm on board with all that stuff. So, uh, number nine for me is Meg to the Trench. Yeah, I definitely fall into the camp of people who were turned off by the second act. It just, it was just a little bit too much corporate espionage and international terrorism and blah, blah, blah in my shark movie. Um, I understand that filmmakers are going to, especially with a sequel, filmmakers feel the need to really up the ante and make it about more than just the shark. So I understand the filmmaking decisions, but for whatever it's worth, yeah, I'm in that camp where I was on board for the first act and I absolutely love the third act. I'm right there with Don. The shark action is great. Um, The shark eating the villain off the side of the pier is literally one of my favorite shots of the year. Absolutely loved it. Um, But, yeah, I just – when you go in expecting a certain thing and then they subvert that expectation but just not in a positive way, at least in your personal opinion, it does tend to hurt the final rating of the film. But I do agree. It's a damn fun movie. Well worth watching. Yeah, uh, I do think there's like a great, what, 30, 45 minutes in the movie, for sure. (laughs) Um, All right, so my number nine. Man, okay, I was prepared. It's kind of a weird thing. Like, my my next one is also a little bit of a similar situation. I went into this movie preparing myself to not like it or just think, eh, we'll, we'll see. What this is all about it's a, it's a horror comedy which those are always kind of difficult because uh it, it's they almost have a, the job of two genres to do right when they're a horror comedy um and i thought this one pulled it off pretty well uh it's a amazon prime original movie and that would be totally killer now going into this it's funny because when the trailer dropped for this i think it was the uh, the director of either, I think it was the director of Final Girls, who like tweeted a, a quip like, "Oh, like how original," as if as if he invented like the time travel mystery or whatever. But anyways, <laughs> and the, and the funny thing is to me is like after I watched Totally Kill, I was like, "Yeah, problem is he made a movie twice as good as yours." In my just in my opinion, right? That doesn't go for anyone else, but just me personally. But anyway, so yeah, this is a movie. That uh, it takes place in modern times, but we end up with some time travel back to, I believe it's 1987. And one of the things I like the best about this movie is they handle both, like, the the culture and the quirks of both eras pretty good. Like, it, you don't come away from this, like, it's trying to tell you that either the 80s or now are better. It's kind of showing, like, the goofiness of both and how, Hey, it's just, it's just the way things were and the things and the way things are now. It's not trying to make a statement that like, Oh, all the faults of the eighties, we've improved it. Or the eighties were so much better because of this is just, Hey, culture's different. And that's how it is. I also think the, the kills 
were pretty vicious and bloody. Like I wasn't expecting that in, in in this movie, and I thought overall the story was pretty solid. I liked the characters. I I liked uh, the adult and teenage versions of everyone how they handled that. I liked how they weren't uh, they weren't beholden to other time travel movies as far as like how everything works when like oh you you made a change here so this is going to happen they kind of they kind of stuck to their own lore uh it's like they built off what other movies said but they still came up with their own kind of original take on it and overall i just felt it was a fun movie and it, i i was able to rewatch this one uh, a, a lot of I, I feel like a lot of my uh a lot of 6 or 10s that i did rewatching cuz like i said it, those were the ones i was i were more unsure about whether they'd end up on the list or honorable mention but I did rewatch this one, and I still had a blast with it, uh, even more so probably the second time around, because this was yeah on the kind of like the uh, the bubble is is it going to be a list list number and it, and it is so that's my number nine, totally killer. So back to you, Venom, for number eight. All right, number eight is going to be my second foreign film in a row. This time we're going from South Korea. All the way to India, so <laughs> all the way, like they're so far apart. But yeah, uh, going to India, uh, uh, I, I've always said, you know, I, I, Indian and Pakistani and Indonesian horror has been some of the best of the last decade or two. And this one I'm not necessarily going to put in the upper echelon of those kinds of movies. It's not a Satan Slaves or, or uh, you know... Uh, Train to Busan or anything like that, but it's still a movie that I really, really enjoyed uh, about a group of YouTubers who, you know, accidentally release a spirit um, into the human world through their investigation and them trying to, you know, investigate this site. That, of course, makes my number eight, Ashvins. Um, it is spelled A-S-V-I-N-S, so people might think it's pronounced Asvins. But there is a there's an invisible H in there. It is pronounced Ashvins. Um, and if you watch the movie, you know this because they talk about the three Ashvins, you know, the two sisters and then the third one, blah, blah, blah. So, um, like I said, this movie is, uh, you know, it's got that found, fo found footage element that I absolutely love. I am a big found footage fan, have been since the beginning. I, I love the subgenre. Even some of the lesser efforts that some people might pan, uh, I still end up really enjoying, you know, as long as they're done moderately well. Not to say that I've never seen a bad found footage movie. Oh, no, no, I've seen many. But for the most part, if you can at least, you know, um, give us a good reason why they're still holding cameras in the third act after shit has hit the fan and, and different things like that. It, it, you know, if you can take care of those problems with a found footage movie, then I think it makes it a success. And when you give us a great um, mythology to go with it, with a, you know, a great backstory about the antagonists of this film and just this third act just really, really worked for me. Um, you know, there is a little bit of a major swerve as far as who is doing the killing in this movie, but I'm, I'm going to leave it at that for those who haven't seen it. Uh, but this one's available on Netflix. It's, it, it's still on Netflix. I just watched it again this week, and it is still great. Even, you know, about six months after we reviewed it, I still have a great time with it. Um, some, you know, maybe the gore could have been upped a little bit more, but again, when it comes to the found footage genre, they don't tend to be ultra gory, so I'll give it a little bit of a pass on that. But yeah, overall, these characters worked for me, you know, they were likable, um, 
if this was an American movie, it literally this exact movie, but made with an American sensibility, I'd end up hating half of these characters. Because for the most part, I'm not the biggest fan of YouTubers, influencers, you know, that whole kind of subsect of our population. But here, in a foreign language with a lot likable, a lot more likable characters, it just makes the movie that much more enjoyable for me. So yeah, my number eight is gonna be Ashvins out of India. Honorable mention for me. I, I, Very I nice. I, I can't agree more. Honorable mention. All right. On to you, Dawn, for your number eight. All right. My number eight, uh, another one that uh, kind of appealed to me. Um, those of you who are familiar with uh, me and Venom's sideshow will know that this is a uh, – Topic that kind of fits right in at home with uh, our sensibilities, as well as um, we mentioned earlier, our love for cheesy creature features. And yeah, this is uh, definitely one of uh, my favorites. It's definitely one that uh, has a lot to really like about it. And my number eight is Cocaine Bear. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah uh, I, I, I had uh, so much fun with this one. Um, I, I mean, you give Asylum a budget and this is what you get. And believe me, that is not a bad thing at all. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there's so much fun to be had here. Um, I, I mean, even so much to the point that uh, I kind of wish it was even more over the top. But yeah, the the bear is hysterical. The cubs are a fantastic addition. The side stories are really fun. Characters are enjoyable. And yeah, overall, there's just so much to really enjoy about it. Um, I, I had a blast with it. It's uh you know, one of our favorites. So yeah, number eight for me is cocaine bear. And yeah, that is an absolutely awesome looking uh, prop there, Venom. Er. <laughs> yes. uh, I'm right there with you, man. I absolutely loved cocaine bear. I mean, with a title like that, you can't go in with ultra high expectations. Doesn't matter who the cast is. Doesn't matter that Ray Liotta's in here and some other recognizable names. It's called cocaine bear for fuck's sake. If you can't have fun with this movie, I feel bad for you because this it really is an absolute joy. I mean, this one's an honorable mention for me. I really struggled to get it into my top ten, but unfortunately I couldn't do it. But, yeah, I'm right there with Don. Probably one of the most fun experiences I had at the theater this year. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is an, on my honorable mentions list. I had a lot of fun with it, and I was actually kind of surprised by, like, the reaction of a lot of people because the way a lot of people talked about this after they had seen it was almost like they were expecting, like, a serious movie. And I'm like, uh, it's called Cocaine Bear. And I, I maybe because, like, I know a lot of people don't watch trailers anymore, so maybe they didn't realize that it was a comedy, but like a comedy going in, but... I'm like, I don't know. I thought it was funny. I thought the kills were fun. Like the the writing, the comedic writing in it worked for me for the type of movie it was supposed to be. I thought it was a riot. Like I was laughing throughout it and I thought the the quote unquote horror elements of it were enough for a movie called Cocaine Bear. Ray Liotta was good as always and um I really liked the the scenarios in there and the uh, the whole sequence with I think it was like the ranger lady and her little tower or not the tower but the cabin oh, that, was, um, was great the ranger yeah. shack yeah 
The Ranger Shack, yeah. I, I was like, why can't I name the actual thing? But yeah, the <laughs> the Ranger Shack. That whole sequence was like excellent. I thought, and I, I had tons of fun. I, I originally, when I was first putting together my list, I thought it was going to be somewhere in the upper half of it, and I just missed it. But it's definitely an honorable mention. So <laughs> hell yeah. yeah. All right. So my number eight is. So this is a sequel but actual prequel and to me i would call this a return to form for what we got out of the first in the franchise and that would be hell house origins and i forget the rest of the title of it but carmichael manor carmichael manor um i love the fact that this kind of went back to the simplistic approach of the first one with with story uh the scares uh, they might feel minimalist compared to like the more grandiose stuff of like Hell House two and three, especially three, I would say. But that's why I liked the first one so much, and that's why I liked Origin so much because it felt like this kind of felt truly like a, a sequel to the first one in the sense that like done in the same style, um, similar style scares. The story I thought was strong. Um, even though it was like in a, another location, I felt like they kind of recaptured the magic of the first one. And I actually, I I haven't seen part two in a while. I still think I remember liking two, and even parts of three. I think I did like two, but I just thought one was like really in its own stratosphere. And then Origins kind of didn't get me all the way back to as much as I loved one, but it was it is easily my second favorite in the franchise. Um, I just liked it a lot, and uh, I don't know. We did we even talk about this one before on, on nope. either show? Not officially, no. No. You guys have seen it though, I assume, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, of I'm sure. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure it wouldn't have gone this long without seeing it. But yeah, that is my number eight. Um, yeah, I just thought I thought it was well done, and I was I was a little worried because like even though it was technically a prequel sometimes there's that pressure to like well this is where three went so we gotta even up like the the special effects or like a third act to do something even crazier but i i felt like they reined it in pretty well and decided let's just do what made the first one really good and a winner in people's eyes and yeah i, I was very impressed and very happy with it so that's my number yep. eight and now we get to number sevens with venom yeah, I'm right there with you for uh, your number eight. I absolutely love the Carmichael ma uh, Manor. Um, definite return to form. Uh, I, I'm the kind of person that hates to see effects in these kind of movies, you know, um, CG effects like we got at the end of part three. It just, it, 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 like I said, the ending of part three ruined the entire trilogy for me. I was really upset about it. But this one is a great return to form, as we've all said. I mean, it's great to see the clowns back. I mean, the clowns were front and center in this movie once again. We get the same gags that we got in the first movie, but they're still so effective that we don't mind. Um, you know, those those uh, jump scares that are specifically for the audience, not for people in the film. Uh, they didn't do it as well as the original film, but they still did bring that element back. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, didn't make my top 10, unfortunately, but 
definitely a return to form. And I'm right there with Mike. It, it is my second favorite Hell House uh, film now. And I will third that sentiment. Yeah, third. I'll third <laughs> that sentiment. Yeah, I, I actually felt that they kind of downgraded with each entry. I had like, yeah. I I like one the most. Then two was a little bit lower, and then three was the weakest. And yeah, this one was definitely one that jumped back up and became my second favorite. Exactly. So it is good that someone put it in their top ten since we didn't cover it on Fresh Cuts. And obviously, it, you know, it, it's in like the bottom teens on my list, like somewhere at around number 18. But definitely a great movie. Highly recommend. If you've seen any of the Hell House movies, you know what you're in for with the new one. But the new one just really, you know, re-elevates the franchise back up to where it was after the first film. So, and now I'm looking forward to seeing more of, of them. You know, I was I was actually hoping to never see another Hell House movie after the third one. I'm like, okay, the end of the trilogy, let's be done with it. But the fact that they gave us a fourth one that nobody wanted, and it actually turns out to be great, that definitely rebounds the franchise. And now I want a part five, you know, I want a part six. Just complete the second trilogy now. But just learn from the mistakes of the first trilogy, you know? Stick with what works and don't get, you know, too big for your own britches because that's pretty much what happened with the third movie. They, they tried to make a big Hollywood, you know, um, ending and it just did not work for a movie that's as subdued as these movies are. So, yeah, right there with Mike. Okay. To my number seven, uh, we are back to America and back to the theater uh, this is one that came out, I believe, in the summer. I don't remember the exact release date of it, but if I remember... Oh, no, it was right around my birthday. Holy shit, not, not the summer. It came out the week after my birthday, this past April. Um, this is a franchise that I gotta say I've never considered myself a super fan of. I know Mike is a super fan of this franchise, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a spectacular franchise, and you should be a super fan of it. But it's one of those things where, like... I've I've always felt that they never hit the the um the heights that they hit with the first one. Even though I know a lot of people consider the second one the best of this franchise, I am solidly for the OG. Um that you know, guerrilla style of filmmaking just absolutely worked for me. And the fact that the third one was so drastically different than the first two movies, Mike already knows what I'm talking about, and most people probably know what I'm talking about by now. Uh but yeah. We got the, what would this be considered, the fifth entry in the franchise now, as far as what timeline it follows, the original or the remake. Uh, the filmmakers have made statements. I've, I've seen conflicting statements from different people that worked on the movie. So I'm just going to say it's a standalone movie that doesn't fit with either timeline. And I'm just going to say that my number seven movie of 2023 is Evil Dead Rise. I had an absolute blast with this movie. This movie has my title card of the year, the best title card of this year. You're either going to love it or you hate it. There's no in-between with this title card. You either think it's the cheesiest, stupidest thing you've ever seen, or it's one of the coolest fucking things set to celluloid. And for me, I absolutely love this title card. I like the presentation of the story. I like how the story was bookended with kind of the, the story at the lake or, you know, the cabin, if you will. 
Um, so it definitely explains if the next Evil Dead movie is back at the cabin, the, you know, the book ended scenes for Evil Dead Rise will explain why the book is back there after being in, you know, suburban Los Angeles for the duration of this movie. But this movie was so much fun for me. Uh, I think that the, um, uh, the casting of the mom, uh, what's her name? Anna Marie Thomas. Oh, no, no, Alyssa Sutherland. I'm sorry, Alyssa Sutherland. I, I think her casting was absolutely stellar because this woman looks creepy, completely normal. And then w- once she gets possessed by a dead, I forget about it. She is just, I, I can barely look at her. She's so goddamn creepy. The smile, the dialogue, the shit that comes out of this woman's mouth after she's possessed, just absolutely amazing. And even uh, like when her teenage daughter was possessed, and she has that line about "I I I, I gotta get the I gotta get the things out of my tummy." I, I can't remember the exact line, but it was after she was eating that glass and said, "I gotta get the creepy crawlies out of my tummy." I fucking flipped out on that line delivery. I thought it was so fucking great. Um, and then. I mean, the elephant in the room, and it's about as big as an elephant, the creature at the end. Um, Because of the way the book is presented to us in this movie, that ending works for me. Um, Obviously, we're used to our over-the-top endings for Evil Dead movies. They almost have to be over-the-top to really satisfy us anymore. But this ending is just total roller coaster ride, absolutely fun. Um, this is another movie that I haven't seen on a lot of people's top 10 list, but when it comes to the level of enjoyment and the level of just joy that a movie gave me this year, Evil Dead Rise is definitely deserves to be in my top 10 because even watching it this week for what, like the fourth or fifth time? Cause I think I watched it three times for our Fresh Cuts review and then I've watched it once with my wife and then recently. So I've watched it five times now. And I always have just this great energized feeling at the end, you know, when you've watched a fun, satisfying horror film. So, yeah, for me, no brainer. Number seven, Evil Dead Rise. I will so go ahead, Mike, and tell bit. me how I'm wrong about the Evil Dead franchise. <laughs> I will talk uh, about this one a little bit later myself. I will save uh, those comments for another day. Um, you're, <laughs> you're, you're not wrong about the first three. <laughs> no, um, no, I, I think Evil Dead Rise was a was a fun movie. Like, even if I'm not quite as high on it as you, I still had a fun time with it. Like, to me, I don't. Well, I don't say I don't want to care. I, I would say. I would say regardless of where people place it, either on a list, honorable mention, or not even, it's still a fun movie. Like, I don't see how anyone could be bored by it or not entertained. Um, So at least that baseline, like, I agree. It's definitely fun. Um, But, yeah, I'm I'm not – man, today ain't the day to disagree. (laughs) Uh, Don, what I will agree on, though, it's time for Don's number seven. So what do you got, Don? All right, well, I don't have much of a big intro for this one, um, unlike the other ones, so uh, I, I'm just going to say my number seven is The Last Voyage of the Demeter. A uh, little bit too long, but yeah, um, I, I absolutely enjoyed this. Uh, great setup, great cast, 
maybe not necessarily an easy way to plonk this into the middle of, uh, you know, a Nosferatu film, which uh, was always one of the main things that I wanted when I started watching this film, where if I wanted to, you know, say, watch, you know, the Bela Lugosi, Frankenstein, uh, Dracula, why the hell did I say Frankenstein? Um, you know, like the Bela Lugosi, Dracula, or, you know, the original Nosferatu version of Dracula, get to this part of the film, stop it, put this uh, segment on, watch it to completion, and then go back to the original, uh, you know, film I was watching previously. I don't think it works in that context, but as a standalone film, I absolutely enjoy it. It's um, gothic atmosphere, great setup. Love the, you know, ferocity and feralness of the vampire. Um, just fantastic stuff there. And, yeah, uh, the great final act where they have to, you know, keep the ship afloat to stop the creature. I, I had a fun time with it. So, yeah. Um, like I said, maybe a little bit too long for my taste. But uh, other than that, I absolutely enjoyed it. And uh, one of my favorites of the year. So, number seven, Last Voyage of the Demeter. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed that one as well. That one, uh, definitely an incredibly well-made movie. And a movie that is not scared to kill a child, because they actually kill the same child twice, which is fucking amazing. <laughs> so, um, I will say the ending maybe left me a little sour because of how it fa- it fails to fit in with the rest of the novel. Like, like, I agree with Don. It's not a bad idea to go ahead and, like, pop in Bram Stoker's Dracula. And then when they get to the Demeter scene... Just pop this movie in. Um, the ending of uh, Last Voyage might leave you scratching your head a little bit. Um, but who knows? Maybe we'll get a sequel to this that'll, you know, include our new character, our new, you know, uh, whether he's canon or not for the Dracula franchise. I, I, I dare not say. But if we were to get a sequel to this with the continuing adventures of our survivor, in this one, I would not be against it. Because the movie was really well made, some great performances, some brutal kills. Um, all in all, it gives you everything that you want as a horror fan. And and as a Dracula fan, too. I mean, if you're a pure fan of Dracula as a character, then maybe this movie might not be for you, since you don't even really get to see him as a human too much, you know, as, as a standard-looking human, I mean, and try to use his charm, you know, the way Gary Oldman does in Bram Stoker's Dracula. But it's still a very effective film. I'm right there with Don. Yeah, I, this was a really fun time. Um, but like I said, the ending left me just a little bit scratching my head, which kind of kept it out of my top ten, but a great film nonetheless. Yeah, one of the cool things about the movie is the sense of dread throughout like it it felt like things were heading for like a bad conclusion like even if you're not already kind of familiar with that the greater story or even that passage from the novel um the the way the story is laid out and uh the sense of dread just mounts and keeps going and i thought i thought it was a fun movie Fun in the sense of like if you like horror and dread, yes, it's fun. It was fun. Um, all right, so my number seven. It's another wow. It's it's a franchise heavy back seven, I guess. Uh, this one was another kind of return to form to me. It's a franchise that kind of got away from what I think early in the franchise. Uh, was and I think the main reason this one's not higher on my list is because the 
the third act, or maybe not even the entire third act, but like maybe the last 10, 15 minutes, kind of got a little absurd, even for this franchise, because it's not like this franchise is not known for getting absurd at times with with certain elements. But I thought, for the most part, this movie was, it was pretty reined in the way early in the franchise was. But um, I think this is... This feels like an early uh, franchise entry, and that's kind of what I went when I enjoyed it more. Kind of the first three movies in this one now, um, and that would be Saw X. And like, how how crazy is it that like a tenth entry in a franchise could make it to my list? Because like, mm-hmm. I'll be honest, like after Saw three. For the most part, I enjoyed the Saw movies for what they were after that. Like, fun, stupid movies with, like, over-the-top gore and traps. Like, you know, it it was like an event where it would come out every year in October. And you just kind of turn off your brain and went. I'm not saying this was, like, a sophisticated... It's not like, oh, the movie returned to, like, some type of sophistication or anything like that. But I think having um, Jigsaw or John Kramer back, not just in flashbacks, but actually having his character being the central figure. Um, I like the timeline of when it took place. Uh, I like, I I was kind of curious, like what kind of story would they create around him? uh, Given that the franchise has moved so far away, but I found this story kind of believable given the fact of where we are in, in the timeline and in the um, kind of his development uh, as being jigsaw. Cause we're kind of back to like in the earlier uh, time of of the, all that, and like I said, pretty much enjoyable, solid story all the way up until the last ten fifteen minutes. If they would have, if they would have stuck the landing a little more solid, I it could have been higher on my list. But that's why it's kind of at seven and not not a couple spots higher. But uh, yeah, Saw Seven or excuse me, Saw Ten is number seven on my list. So. Yeah, there we go. Jigsaw back in a big way, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see more. And I don't know if they can keep up the momentum. I'm still making them good like this, but let's hope so. I, I really do hope so. But uh, Venom, back to you for number six. Well, this will be a very easy transition because my number six is Saw X. And I actually am going to disagree with Mike a little bit. Um, I'm not going to say this was the best Saw ending ever, not by any stretch. The ending of the first three movies is effortlessly more satisfying, endlessly more satisfying, excuse me, uh, including Saw 6, which a lot of people seem to forget that there was an awesome chapter of Saw right in the middle of the franchise. And I think some people just kind of lose it in the shuffle because between Saw like 4 and 8, you know, people would go see it every year, but, you know, it, it maybe didn't leave as much of an impression or it wasn't maybe as memorable as the first three. But, yeah, Saw 6 was I a agree spectacular entry. I think 6, I think after Saw 3, 6 is the best of the rest. By far. By, I mean, some people have 6 in their top 3. Um, I personally do not, especially not with the release of Saw X, because Saw X is now... Uh, my third favorite in the franchise. But, yeah, this movie, I said it when we reviewed it, and I'll say it again. Anybody who knows me knows how I love my vindictive and petty horror movie characters. Absolutely love it. I'm the kind of person that if you wrong me, I want to wrong you ten times over. Uh, Just to kind of 
pounded into your head, don't fuck with me. And that's exactly what John Kramer does here. You know, he's wronged by a group of people and he puts them all in their place. And even though, you know, ultimately none of them are going to be around to be able to wrong other people in the future, uh, they fucking learn their lesson. In their last moments of life, I'm pretty sure they understand everything that they did wrong. And that's part of why I love John Kramer. I absolutely love Jigsaw. I have always loved this concept of not killing people by yourself, but giving them the option. It's like, oh, you can survive if you want, but there is going to be a cost, be it an arm, a leg, a piece of your brain, whatever the hell he wants in that particular moment. But the fact that he does let people uh, – vindicate themselves to the point where they go on and actually work with him. You know, Amanda, um, Coriel Elway's character, um, you know, uh, detective, uh, what's his face? I forgot his name already uh, from part five and six. Um, And of course, well, Hoffman, isn't it? It's Hoffman. Thank you. Detective Hoffman. Yeah. I mean, it's, I love the fact that this, charismatic serial killer. I mean, ultimately, you know, I think most people would still classify him as one, even though in his own eyes, he doesn't directly kill people. But just that fact that people who survive his traps end up working with him, that speaks a lot about what John Kramer is trying to do, that these people understand after they've been through the the challenges themselves that, oh, he's not necessarily sadistic. He's just trying to get people to make better choices. And ultimately, you know, it, it, he, he has to take a bloody path to get there. But like I said, there's something about that that makes my heart feel good. Whenever I see John Kramer make some piece of shit, make a decision for their own life, it, something about that pettiness just works for me. And this movie, especially because with this movie, we understand what's happening well before the end of the movie. Every Saw movie before this had that big montage at the end that revealed everything. We still get a little piece of that at the end of this one, too. But at least while these people are in their traps, we know why they're there. We know what they've done, and they've done it directly to Jigsaw. Jigsaw is not a third party anymore. These people directly wronged him, and the fact that he just relishes in making them make these moral decisions just absolutely works for me. An all-time favorite character for me, John Kramer. You know, maybe not necessarily Billy the Puppet, um, but John Kramer as Jigsaw, absolutely satisfying. I've never walked out of a Saw movie thinking, well, that was terrible. Admittedly, there are some that aren't great. I will absolutely admit that. Every great franchise has some bad entries here and there, especially when you make it to double digits, you know? No one's going to look you in the face and say that Halloween or Friday the 13th or Puppet Master didn't have eh, maybe some questionable entries, even though, you know, certain fran- certain fans will still love it. I will I will go to bat for any Friday, Friday the 13th movie. It is my favorite franchise. Jason is my favorite movie killer. You want to talk shit about Saw, uh, about Jason X? I'll be right there with you talking shit about it. But at the end of the day, I still enjoy it. I still like it. Um, so, yeah, for me, Saw X is the greatest guilty pleasure of the year. Again, another movie that I walked out of the theater with an ear-to-ear grin. I was just so happy with how it culminated. I was happy with the traps. I was happy with the gore. 
just all of it worked for me. The performances, like maybe our main antagonist, the female doctor, may, may have been a little over the top at times. But otherwise, everyone in the movie felt organic. It felt like just good, solid performances. So, yeah, my number six is the same as Mike's number seven. It is Saw X. And fingers crossed for Saw 11. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe for the main show, eventually one time we'll have to do like an epic like ranking of the Saw franchise. Because it's like I know... I know what I think, like, a few of my favorite ones are, but after that, I, I feel like it's been so long that I'd almost have to rewatch the franchise to give, like, a proper ranking of the entire franchise. So maybe maybe for, like, a milestone episode, we'll do something epic like that. I need, I need an excuse to watch them all again. Um, well, I mean, I watched them all again before the release of this one. That was my excuse. So, I mean, I already knew how I felt about the first three and part six. Like I said, I love them all in varying degrees. Four and five maybe might be like my least favorites, but ultimately I can still watch them. I can still derive enjoyment from them. And to me, that's a successful franchise when even the weak entries are still entertaining and still watchable. That is a successful horror franchise. So, yeah, bravo to Saw. Thank you for bringing back uh, John Kramer. And, uh, yeah, let's just do prequels from now on. No more sequels. All Saw prequels. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, so over to Don for your number six. Well, Don, I feel like a party pooper. Um, my number six is not Saw 6 or <laughs> Saw X. <laughs> it wouldn't uh, be Saw 6. <laughs> yeah. Um, Saw's, Saw X is not on my list. It's uh, very, very high on my, it could have been an honorable mention list, but it uh, didn't quite make either one. But uh, my number six is uh Far different one. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. I wasn't expecting much. I actually got it as a screener before we ended up covering it, and uh, I, I loved it. I had so much fun with it. Uh, I thought it was very well made. I had fantastic folklore, fantastic mythology, and some absolutely brutal scenes that uh, kind of caught me off guard. And uh, my number six is Husara, the Bone Woman. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Uh, nice. Uh, I, I had a I had a lot of fun with this one. Um, I I love the idea of this uh, figure being involved in this uh, storyline. Uh, the you know you get the great uh, builds up with the woman in her daily to day life, the struggles of getting pregnant, the you know actually getting pregnant, and then you find all of this just absolutely heart wrenching with you know stuff with all the fa family members trying to tell her about what's going on, how she can't feel everything, you know all the stuff that she's not supposed to, she's supposed to feel, but she doesn't quite feel it yet, even though she's pregnant. And then the haunting start. And it, yeah, it, it just has a, you know, far greater impact and it just uh, hits really, really, really nicely for me. Um, I, I had a great time with it. Probably would have wanted it to go a little bit further than it does. Uh, it does have kind of like a weak third act, but um, other than that, I, I don't have much to complain about. Great time here, well-made, great scares, and uh, I definitely really, really liked it. So uh, number six was Sarah, the Bone Woman. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with Don. I wish this movie had a little bit more. They barely go over the, uh, the, um, the mythology of the Bone Woman because, uh, you know, for those who don't know, this is an actual Mexican myth, uh, an actual, like, uh, cryptid. 
that they are that they are fearful of. And since the movie doesn't go into any well, not any, but it doesn't go deep into the backstory of the Bone Woman. It might make the ending of this movie feel a little ambiguous or maybe a little confusing. I found that after I went back and read the full mythology of the Bone Woman, it explains the third act of this movie perfectly. And um, I, I'm, I, I, I don't want to make it sound like it's a detriment because what we got was still great. I agree with Don. This is a great movie. Even if you don't fully understand the nature of the Bone Woman um, after watching the film, you, you still can derive a lot of enjoyment from it. But like I said, when I went back and read the real mythology of the Bone Woman, it explains a lot of little scenes in the third act that might be just a little confusing to some. So... You know, if you watch Bone Woman and you enjoy it on its own, then cool. There's no need for you to go back and check the mythology. But if you watch Bone Woman and maybe the ending left you scratching your head a little bit, go to Wikipedia and look up Weseda, the Bone Woman, and read the entire mythology. It makes the third act so much better. Like, the movie actually went up a full point, a full rating point for me after I read the mythology because then it explained the entire third act. And I was so happy with that. But, um, you know, like Don said, uh, the, the movie that we got is still great, very watchable. Um, some great mythology, some great haunting scenes, you know, a, a really cool looking sort of suicide. I'll leave it at that in case you haven't seen the movie. But, yeah, overall, a very enjoyable movie. Yeah, definitely agreed. This actually was on my list for a long time it just barely nudged off definitely an honorable mention definitely a fan of it love the subtext going on i agree uh i wish probably would have gone a little bit further with the horror horror elements but otherwise a strong solid well-written movie and uh good pick don um all right we are on to my number six and this is actually one that has been brought up already, and it's it's brutal from pretty much beginning to end. And I rewatched this one last week, and the main reason was because I was kind of struggling as well with the idea of like, is it horror? Is enough of it horror? And I actually, on the rewatch, it reaffirmed, okay, yes, definitely, because. We, it's about a little over two hours, but the the horror or Frankenstein element actually hits with with a good hour left in the movie. So it's not like it was like only the last half hour or 20 minutes or third act. We get a lot of it in there. And like I said, this movie's unrelenting. It never it never uh, lets up. If if for people who are fans of the sadness last year, if you're looking for something with that kind of brutality, this is probably your fix for 2023. Uh, there might be other ones, too, that, that are out there. It's just that this one I know for sure is one that I've seen that I can recommend to to uh, fill that void. And that would be Project Wolf Hunting. Excellent, <laughs> excellent movie. Uh, I mean, if if, if you're not um, – well, let's say – I'll say this. Within the first 10, 15 minutes, you're either uh, grinning – and cheering, or you're turning it off because mm-hmm. the the brutality starts fast. Like there's 
there's little to no buildup needed to figure out what kind of movie this is going to be. Even though the 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 horror aspect or the the uh, I think Frankenstein's the most accurate thing I can think of too. I think Venom, you where you mentioned it to that kind of like a Frankenstein right. unstoppable monster. Even before you get to that, because the brutality is mm-hmm. crazy when that I think Alpha enters it too. But even before that, just for the more action oriented elements of it. It's it's just crazy. It, it's it's over the top. It, it and it pretty much doesn't stop. There's not many lulls. You're not going to get a lot of running time without some type of fighting or shooting or stabbing or just I, I I don't even know what to say. Visceral, gory action and it's it's just unrelenting. This is the type of movie that you know who the audience is that's going to love it and. I, I, I think it just satisfies in every way if that's the type of movie you're looking for. So I don't have too much to add because Venom kind of went over it pretty thoroughly. But, yeah, Project Wolf Hunting is my number six. So I will kick it back to Venom because now we are into the <laughs> top five. Well, one other thing I wanted to say about Project Wolf Hunting is that when a movie mixes genres, it's it, it's a good way to tell if the movie's good if both – genres are represented well for example if you have a horror comedy and you remove the horror does it work as just a comedy or vice versa if you have a horror comedy and you remove the comedy does it still work as a horror film this movie project wolf hunting is equal parts horror and action and this is a perfect example because if you remove the horror element if you remove alpha completely and just make it about these convicts being taken to a new prison on that boat it it turns into con air on water which i'm on board for and I feel like if this movie didn't have the horror element, it still would work as just a straight action film, as like something like The Raid or The Night Comes for Us, something along those lines. But then if you remove the action elements, does it work as a horror movie? 100%. Once Alpha shows up and lets loose his ridiculous brutality, it's still an excellent horror movie. So... That's how you can, at least that's the kind of way that I judge when movies that mix genres, if they're successful. Like recently, I hate to bring up an example of a movie that I didn't really enjoy, but that my co-host did. Um, Recently, we reviewed There's Something in the Barn. And with There's Something in the Barn, if you remove the horror elements of it, does it still work as a comedy? And in my opinion, it 100% does not because I didn't find it funny. Obviously, I'm in the minority there, and I understand that. So I'm not saying that I'm right and you're wrong or anything like that. But what I'm saying is that's how I know a movie that's a mixed genre works. Take Shaun of the Dead. If you take Shaun of the Dead and you take out the comedy, it's still a great fucking zombie movie. If you take Shaun of the Dead and you take out the zombies, it's still a funny as fuck comedy. That's the way that I like to judge my mixed genre films. So yeah, I just wanted to jump on that point because Mike kind of brought that up with the mixing of genres with this one. So yeah, Project Wolf Hunting, amazing film, if you haven't figured it out by now. But, Back to my list, and we are at my number five, and this is my zombie movie of the year. I love zombies. I always have, and if you look back at all of my top tens for every year that I've been a podcaster, there's always a zombie movie on there, be it the Native American zombie movie Blood Quantum from a few years ago, The Sadness from last year, um, Cargo, 
um, from a few years ago. Like, there's always a zombie movie that really, really moves me. And, you know, I, I don't even need to mention Train to Busan. At least I shouldn't have to. But with this movie, this movie has so much heart. It reminded me of Tokyo Zombie. And Tokyo Zombie is a movie that we've reviewed on the main show, and I praised it because I absolutely love the relationship between our two protagonists, the two guys that are traversing this zombie apocalypse in Tokyo, and the fact that they're uh, jujitsu practitioners and I am a big UFC fan, you know, it just made that movie, Tokyo Zombie, that much more enjoyable to me. This movie has the same amount of heart. It has this beautiful story of these two friends that eventually become three. And I am right there with Don. Don made a statement uh, about this movie before I had seen it. That was a very, very bold statement. Don, do you remember what that statement was? I'm sure you know the movie I'm talking about by now. Uh, I, I, I'm smiling ear to ear because I was waiting for to jump in. Um, <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, it's uh, the best shark I've ever seen put to camera. Thank you, and I 100% agree. This is my favorite single shark scene in any movie, and this is a fucking zombie movie. Why am I praising a shark scene in a zombie movie? Well, my friends, when a shark swallows about a half dozen zombies, and then the legs sprout out through the bottom of the zombie, so now the zombie is fuck. the zombie shark is now walking around. Are you kidding me? That has to be one of the greatest things I've ever seen set the film. So aside from the great zombie action, the great relationships, just the concept of this list is so charming. And this main character, even though he's endlessly optimistic, almost to the point where he's a child throughout the entire movie, it just makes this, for me, so enjoyable, so warm, um, and it even gives you somewhat of a happy ending, which is something we don't get from zombie movies. So if, if you can give me a zombie movie that has some element of a happy ending, I'm on board. So, yeah, my number five movie was um, on, was released on Netflix earlier this year. And it also has an anime version. The anime is a series, an, epi an episodic series that you that I think already has a second season or a second season is coming. Um and, of course, that's going to make my number five, ZOM 100, Bucket List of the Dead. I love this movie. I love these characters. Even though the best friend in this movie does something kind of questionable after his best friend goes out of his way to save him, it still comes off as very organic because it feels like that's part of the character. He is that successful douchebag that's good with women and blah, blah, blah. Um, but like I said, and then when they pick up their, their third member of the group, someone who's very against being with other people during a zombie apocalypse because she thinks that she's safer if she's by herself, and then to watch her come around and actually become friends and to the point where these three by the end of the movie are a legit family. And I fucking love that. Now, this movie is over two hours long, which I know is going to be a, a deterrent for a lot of people. Zombie movies shouldn't be over two hours long. I uh, totally agree with that statement. But I was on board for this movie from beginning to end. There was no point where I was bored. I mean, there's a zombie attack literally as soon as the credits end. Like, it's, it's like the movie just starts. The great thing about this movie is 
it also has a 14-minute cold open where you actually forget that you never got the title of the movie. And then after 14 minutes, you get the title card and the credits. And it's just endlessly fun. Like I said, it's heartwarming. Um, it's even inspirational to see Tendo, you know, kind of come out of his shell and, you know, f- even though it takes a lot to see him rally against his, you know, um, domineering boss and everything else. I just, everything about this movie I fucking love. All 200, or excuse me, all two hours and eight minutes of this movie are absolutely stellar. I want, I just, this was the surprise of the year for me because when I first saw this and you see the poster, which is all purple and pink and yellow, like it's all bright and colorful. There's a kid on a bicycle with a shark in the background. It just like the poster doesn't even make any sense, but it's just endlessly entertaining. Absolutely fucking love this movie. I put it up there on the same pedestal as Tokyo Zombie. This movie spoke to me in so many so many ways. And I haven't even talked about the kills because this movie has so much more. It's not just about the zombies and the zombie attacks and, you know, the crazy shark scenes. There's This movie offers so much that... It's it's just a no-brainer that it's going to be on my top ten. I actually honestly thought it was going to be a little bit higher on my list, but my top five are really, really strong. So, yeah, to start my top five off with ZOM 100, definitely nothing to be ashamed of. I absolutely adore this film. This will be an annual watch for me, guaranteed. Just, like I said, so heartwarming, such a great story, great performances. Even the score is awesome. As I'm watching this a couple of days ago, the score, like, it comes off as almost kind of corny at times, but it fits almost every situation. Like, it almost has, like, Japanese, like, um, sitcom music or game show music playing through parts of the score, but it, it just all works. Beautiful cinematography, great zombies. Um, yeah, the zombie kills could have been upped a little bit. Like, this isn't the goriest zombie movie ever by any stretch of the imagination. This is not the sadness. This is not Day of the Dead by any stretch. But because it offers you so much more than just zombie action, I feel like it's an all-around amazing film. And if you haven't seen this yet, I understand that runtime is terrifying. Hey, split it in half. There's literally a, right at the one hour mark, there's a perfect spot to kind of pause the movie and go do something else. If, if you're the kind of person who has an aversion to two hour plus movies, there's a perfect stopping point halfway through the movie. Um, but otherwise, I can't recommend this movie enough. From a, from a guy who absolutely adores zombie movies, this is my zombie movie of the year. Please run out and watch it if you haven't already. It's on Netflix, so it shouldn't cost you anything. Go, go check it out. And that was why I was trying to push for it to for us to do it the year week it came out. Yeah, I don't remember what movie it was that ended up pushing this out, but uh, yeah, I do remember watching this like after you had mentioned that shark scene, and, and then I. I went and watched it and just fucking love this shit. Like, I definitely regretted not doing it on the show because this is a movie that I think a lot of people aren't going to watch, you know? It's a, it's another zombie movie, you know, in in a sea of zombie movies. E- even Netflix themselves, Netflix originals, they have a bunch of zombie original movies, you know, like the aforementioned Cargo and Blood Quantum and stuff like that, so... Um, it probably got lost in the shuffle. So, yeah, if you haven't had a chance to watch it and you are a fan of zombie movies that somehow can pull off a happy ending, 
I can't recommend this movie enough. I'll shut up now because I could literally talk about this movie for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if Venom is shutting up, that means it's time to go to Don for his number five. So what do you got, Don? All right. My number five is pretty simple. Uh, this is a franchise entry that quickly rocketed to my favorite spot in the franchise. And absolutely 1000% rectified everything that I felt against the previous entry. And uh, I, I had a blast with it. My number five is scream six. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just what a turnaround from what um, part five was. Uh, The cast is fantastic. I I love the characters here. Um, The legacy characters are actually given something to do instead of just standing around collecting paychecks. They're actually integrated and useful for the situation. The kills are great. The There is a little bit too much um, plot armor to save the main trio, which I, I am a little against, but I can overlook that when the rest of the film is this much fun. Um, great opening. I, I love the setup there. The motivation for the killers actually makes sense. There's no real sense of... You know, like we were saying in part five, where if this person's the killer, then that means that this scene has to, you know, this scene can't make sense because it's this other person being the killer. We don't get any of that in here. And I I had a lot of fun with it. Um, Like I said, you know, maybe keeps the main trio alive a little too long. And in light of current events, maybe that's not necessarily a good thing. But I mean, at the time, we didn't know that. So I'm not going to hold it against it. But even still, this was an absolute um, blast. I'm not the hugest fan of the franchise. Uh, it's not necessarily one of my favorites, but this has absolutely become my favorite in the series, and uh, I, 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 had a, I had a lot of fun with it. So uh, number five for me is Scream 6. Yeah, after rewatching this one more time uh, earlier this year, this has now become my second favorite Scream movie next to the original. Um, just the fact that they did something different, you know, it's, it's not another angsty teenager from, uh, what is it? Springwood or, or right. I don't know. Um, the fact that it's a different setting, different cast of characters, which I would have liked, you know, with part five, we also had a new cast of characters, but it felt like they were concentrating too much on the legacy characters in scream five. Um, but in six, you know, they're they're few and far between the legacy characters. They're not constantly in our face. They really took advantage of the new cast, which it's really too bad that Melissa and Jenna aren't going to come back because for as much as I disliked them in Scream 5, I absolutely loved them in Scream 6. The set pieces were great. Uh, the opening was one of the better openings we've had in a Scream movie in a, in a few entries now. Um, just... So much fun. Really, the worst part of Scream 6 was the reveal. Uh, the, the ultimate reveal of who the killer or killers may have been um, is a little lackluster, considering you know what we've gotten from Scream franchises before. They just kind of fell on the same formula as far as figuring out who the killers are, um, which is a little disappointing because we are in the sixth 
chapter of this franchise. I would like to see them maybe move away from just more, you know, uh, revenge plots. You know, I mean, why can't we just get a crazy guy wearing a ghost face mask? Like, why does it why why does the killer have to be connected to three other families in the town and, you know, connected to two other major events that occurred? Blah, 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 blah. It's the same scream formula. So, yeah, until they take care of their, you know, kind of uh, reveals um scream the original scream will always be king but this one really comes close to the heights that the original brought us at least in my opinion i know i might be in the minority on that one but yeah pretty much everything i hated about five they fixed in six and i was very happy about that even the kills were a little bit more brutal in six than in uh previous chapters so yeah i'm right there with don scream six was great just off of my top 10 but another great movie uh, yeah, something that stood out to me is like I thought the the change of the setting like did the franchise well. It kind of injected like a new flavor, some new life into it where uh, Woodsboro kind of ran its course, and it made sense too with with the younger new generation cast. Uh, why you probably they probably felt the freedom to like move it to a different location. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they're going to do with Seven now, because are they going to have to rely on, like, legacy characters returning? Because you have half of the core four now not not in it, at least as of now. And the director. Because, yeah, now that the director left, they could just scratch the whole thing back to the drawing board, and maybe they work out something. Because I assume, because Jenna Ortega... At least what she said publicly, she left more for scheduling, not because of controversy, unless she just made it up. But now that the whole thing, I, I think there was other getting reasons. Pushed back. I think she left with. I think she left in solidarity with Melissa. The scheduling thing is just to make her look good. That's yeah. I mean, there's lots of speculation. That's the real reason <laughs> why. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, like after losing the director, I would assume it's going to get pushed back. So maybe they work out something and bring the two people back that left, but I don't know. We'll we'll see. But yeah, I six it didn't make my top ten, but I pretty much agree with everything said. I think that it for because I'm a big fan of Scream Four, and to me it was kind of like the new Scream Four where it kind of did some things different, some things new. It didn't feel like the same old Scream plot. Um, all the way through it. Um, so, yeah, uh, good pick there. Um, all right. On to my number five. We have... Okay, so this movie, I, I liked it the first time I watched it. And I, I didn't necessarily know if... It would, I, I would say at the time that I watched it, even though I liked it, I, I didn't predict it would be on my list. But something kind of drew me back to needing to rewatch it because I was like, am I not giving this enough credit for actually how good it was? And so I, I threw it back on last week. And let me tell you, this went from not on my list at all to like halfway up the list into the top five. Um, this also actually has an actor from Resurrected in it. He played the head priest in in Resurrected, and he plays a character in this and this movie, um, it's a small cast, takes place primarily in one setting, in one room of a house for the most part. 
but man, just the the interactions, the dialogue, the story, the way things unfold, the way uh, it didn't feel like a conventional story because I didn't know what was going to happen as the kind of mystery was uh, unfolding. And I thought this, the conclusion was satisfying as well. Everybody did a great job in this. And I was thoroughly uh, satisfied with this movie, even more so on the second watch. And that would be Brooklyn 45. I told I you. absolutely loved it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like when we did it on Fresh Cuts, I was definitely a fan of it. Um, but after watching it the second time, I was like, man... I didn't give this movie even enough credit despite liking it. And, wow, like, it, it was just so well done. Movies like this that you know there's a lower budget for, if they can nail the story and the dialogue and the characters to where you're just kind of, like, sucked into what's happening, um, it, you know it's a success. And I just thought, like, the the parts where they really did have to go for it, like when the uh, the, the character that... Uh, offed himself when he kind of reemerges. That was just so ghoulish and like kind of scary. Like, and uh, well, yeah, okay, yeah, it was definitely scary. And I, I just thought the way the story went. I, I love the tension in the room. I love the kind of like the subtext of like all the the guilt and shame with some of the characters over what they had to do during the war versus like kind of like the gung-ho uh I, I can't remember if he was like a colonel or a major like what his actual rank was in the military but i just i just love it and it, you see this a lot in like movies uh like post-war whatever war it is post-war movies where there's a lot of conflict even between the soldiers about like what they what they did during the war and i i thought everyone in this movie did such a good job and, uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's a movie still a lot of people haven't even watched for the first time. Yeah, and it, it, it needs to be watched. And uh, it's still on Shudder because that's where I watched it. So anyone with a Shudder sub, you ain't got no excuse. So throw on Brooklyn 4-5 immediately. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. That's my number five. So Venom, back to you for number four. All right, well, Mike is very obviously hacking my computer and finding my list because for the second time, I have a movie one position ahead of him, and yes, that makes Brooklyn 45 my number four of the year. Now, this is, I, I've been podcasting since 2016, so that's eight, almost eight years now. This year was the first time that this happened. Uh, basically... Every single year that I've been podcasting, when I see my number one movie of the year, it stays my number one movie of the year. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean, if we, you can go back to 2020 when VFW came out at the end of January and we still had 11 months left in the year, VFW never swayed from my number one spot. Whether it's St. Maud, whether it's The Sadness, whatever movie – I watch that ends up at my number one that I literally proclaim publicly is now my number one movie of the year has never moved out of that position. And now in 2023, it is the first time that it happened. This movie 
was my number one from the beginning of June when it first came out all the way to the end of October until, you know, my eventual number one was released. So that's almost, that's over five months, almost half the year that Brooklyn 45 was my number one movie of the year. And not only did it fall out of the number one spot, it fell out of my top three, which actually says a lot about the second half of this year. Now, I will admit that one of the movies that's in my top three, I actually did watch before Brooklyn 45, and I loved it the first time I saw it, but I think because of the state of mind that I was in, I I think I wasn't ultra healthy. Um, I may not have actually soaked in everything that the movie had to offer, but on rewatch, I realized, oh, this movie is definitely going to be a top three. Uh, We'll be getting to that soon, obviously. But yeah, Brooklyn 45, was my number one for half the year. Absolutely love every element of this movie. And when I say every, I mean fucking every. Every performance in this movie, the score, the set design. This is this is my set design of the year. This movie is a chamber piece. for, And for those who don't know, a chamber piece is basically a movie that takes place completely in one room or one location. And this movie takes place completely in one room. This set design, the way that it contrasts the costume design on this movie, if you look very carefully as you're watching this movie, the set is brightly colored, bright greens, bright blues, bright reds. Everything on the wall is a bright color. The American flag looks like a brand new American flag. The colors are all bright. But then... You look at the way that people are dressed, that are dressed in like muted gray tones. Like everyone is very, like the costume design in this movie is the antithesis of the set design in this movie. And it worked so effectively for me. Obviously, I wasn't around in 1945, so I don't know if houses were actually this bright and colorful back then. I'm sure they were. It would be stupid to say they're not. But we don't generally see that. When we see movies that are set in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, they're not, you know, unless they're Pearl, (laughs) they're not the brightest, most colorful movies we've ever seen. They tend to mute the colors to kind of match, like, the black and white historical footage that we have of that time period. But here, all that is utilized so beautifully, the contrast between the set design and the costume design. As I've already said, the score, the effects, oh my god, the hole in Larry Fessenden's head is fucking epic. Fessenden's performance, spectacular as the colonel and the ranking, the highest ranking uh, officer in this room. So everybody has to call him colonel. Uh, few, only I think the major is the only one who actually calls him Hawk in the movie. Maybe one other person calls him Hawk, but for the most part, everybody you know calls him colonel. They have this respect for him. The fact that this is the first Christmas after the end of World War II, where everyone should be endlessly optimistic, but instead you've got this room full of war veterans who are still dealing with their scars, both physical and emotional, especially Larry Fessenden, who, you know, literally had his wife commit suicide, what, like six weeks before um, the events of this movie, just these performances are stellar. Um, the effects, the ghost effects during the seance look amazing. And then the ghost effects later in the movie look great. 
um, the character decision making, like, you know, everything that they did, it felt like it tracked with that character. You know what I mean? I never, I didn't roll my eyes or cringe at anything about this movie. This movie, I was prepared to make this movie my number one of the year. And had it stayed there, I would still be okay with it because this one I rewatched today. This was literally my last rewatch. I literally finished it right before we started recording this trying to see if it would jump back into my top three and potentially get up past my number three. But it's just that my top three movies all spoke to me in a way that few other movies spoke to me this year. So as much as I adore Brooklyn 45, and it is a 9.5, maybe a 9.75 out of 10 for me, I mean, it's really hard for me to nitpick anything about this movie. I think they did it perfectly. It's definitely not going to speak to any to everyone. Not all horror fans are going to gravitate towards this movie. Ultimately, it is a slightly slower pace. It's a chamber piece, so it's lots of people talking. Movies like this hinge on their performances and their writing. And I feel like both the writing and the performances in this movie are A+. Just absolutely stellar. So, yeah. Um, I'm almost sad that this dropped down to my number four because, like I said, it was my number one all year. And to actually continue to drop it down one position, then another position, then another position, it was almost heartbreaking because I really championed this movie when it first came out. I was trying to get as many people to watch it as possible. It was the big release of that week on Shudder, but that doesn't necessarily mean that millions of people are going to see it. And it's a movie that needs to be seen. If you're, if you're a fan of performance-driven horror drama, this is the movie of the year. For Well, let's say it's the second best movie of the year when you're talking about a, a legitimately well-written horror drama. So, yeah, solidly my number four is Brooklyn 45. And I will mention that it is number 11. Um, I, nice. I, I wanted it so badly, but, uh, yeah, the, it's a great time. I, I can't disagree with you guys anymore. Uh, just fell off my list at the last minute, but number 11 for me officially. Awesome. But um, enough of that. Uh, number four is uh, something that's been brought up. Although uh, it hasn't been an official selection, it's actually been used more as an example of something not to do. And uh, I know where Venom stands on this one. I know where we all stand on it. And uh, my number four, there's something in the barn. Yeah. I, I I know where I know the the dividing lane is on this one, and I fall on the positive side of it. Um, I, I completely agree with the negatives. I agree because they are the same negatives that I have with it. I just don't think that it's as impactful as viewing. They just don't impact the viewing um, experience as much as they do for you as it does for me. So I think that's kind of like the, the dividing line. And, yeah, the, the rest of the film is fun. Uh, the creatures are fantastic. The setups is fun. I do agree. Like I said, the comedy is kind of hit or miss. I, I like it at first. It grows less weary as it goes along. And then by the time that it, it drops, it stops being funny is when it starts being horror. So uh, I'm definitely on board with it when it does that. But, um, yeah, like I said, I, I know where you stand on it. I know where you're coming from because I agree to an extent. I, I just doesn't impact me as much as it does you. But um, in any sense, number four for me is there's something in the barn. 
I mean, yeah, the second half of this movie is absolute 10 out of 10. It's fucking horror comedy gold. Just the, the antagonist, you know, the, the way that they the way that they act, the way that they kind of come together uh, to kind of rally against this family. Just all of that is endlessly entertaining. And there are elements of the first half of the movie that I did enjoy. Obviously, you know, the, the family's young son meeting the house elf. Like, I, I loved as I said during the review, every single scene with an elf in it, I fucking loved. Every single scene without an elf in it, I fucking hated. And, um, you know, ultimately, it, it, you know, since the episode has come out, I've seen a lot of people speak positively about the movie. So I understand that I'm in the minority on this one. But, um, yeah, uh, just the comedy of the first half, you know, as far as the family and all the comedy that was kind of derived from the family and them being in a new country and all that obviously didn't really work for me. We've gone over this. I mean, it's, it's been less than a month since we reviewed this movie, so um, you can go back and listen to that one. But, yeah, the second half is stellar. I, I would not deny anything in the second half of this movie. It just I, And I would never tell anybody not to watch it. I think this is still a very good movie. If if you are like Don and you can get past the family and the attempts at comedy in the first half, then I can see how it's so high on someone's list, you know? If I liked this family a little bit more, it easily would have been in my top ten, just based on the strength of the second half. But, you know, because the first half was such a drag for me and, you know, I, I, I end up yelling at the screen. And if I'm talking to the movie – there's something that bothered me about it. And, you know, ultimately, that's it. I, I'm never going to harp on anybody who loves this movie. I mean, if you love this movie, rock on. It deserves to be loved. It really does. You know, I'm not calling this a bad movie. All I'm saying is that the family didn't work for me. That's it. Um, I still think most people are going to love this movie. It's incredibly enjoyable and definitely should be something to revisit, you know, every December. It, it's It's fun. It really is. All right. Um, my number four, it's probably going to be the first, well, I don't know, depending on what everyone has thought of the rest of my list. This will probably be the first one that is a major departure where you guys are like, uh, maybe not for me. Um, this, this director's had a number one on my list in previous years. Big fan of how his early career is going so far. Earlier this year, it probably would have been higher on my list, but I've seen movies since that I've pushed it. Um, and I want to, you know, I want to be true to, like, what movies I think are the best, so I couldn't keep it higher, or I couldn't put it higher than it is, but still, four is pretty high for, on a on top ten list. Um, I love the uh, story in this. I love the subtext in this. I love the debauchery. And I love kind of what it has to say. And it, it second viewing helped kind of support to all that. So number four on my list is Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool. I love the idea of like uh, centering a story around kind of morality and what happens if all consequences for like – immoral behavior go away what would people be like and i feel like this movie touches on that a lot it, it i think it does get a little grandiose in the third act with it uh we all know the scenes with mia goth um <laughs> towards the end of the movie um 
But for the most part, I, I still I still really like it. I like how everything plays out. I like the escalation. Um, I like kind of like the contrast in characters with James and his wife, kind of how they react. I on the second view, and I kind of caught, I kind of picked up like little seeds that were planted earlier in the film that I realized with the first watch. And man, yeah, this this does get kind of vicious and visceral at, at certain points. Um, and Brandon Cronenberg, you know, he he's putting together a solid lineup uh, early on. I can't wait to see what he he has next. And I don't have a ton to say about it just because I feel like some of these that we've done on the show, it's like I don't want to just repeat everything I talked about on the actual episode of Fresh Cuts. But, yeah, I, I, did, I did really like this. I know it, it's one of those movies because I've heard from lots of people, not just my own co-host, but it's, it, it works for some people and it didn't work as well for others. Everybody has valid things to say, positive or negative. Um, but this one, it just – it just worked for me, and I, I thought the ending was pretty striking. The way it, the way it played out, the way uh, some of our characters would go back to their life like nothing happened, but James ends up pretty much a broken person by the end of this movie, and he really ends up kind of like a somewhat of a victim of of uh, Mia Goth's group because they, all along. They were pretending to befriend him, and really, he was just kind of like a plaything for them too. I I love the I you know I love the uh, setup to where in a foreign country like they are getting tired of it too. But it kind of shows like the wealthy, if they have the means, you can get away with a lot, even uh, breaking the rules of society or a country. And uh, yeah, it. it worked for me but yeah so number four infinity pool um and, I, and i'll just leave it at that uh, i know i liked it i think more than my co-host when we did the show but hey uh it is what it is so number four is infinity pool venom i can't believe we're already to our top three can you believe it yeah yeah i i can't believe you made me throw up in my mouth a little bit but that's okay <laughs> Oh yeah, I I I I don't need to repeat what I said about it when we reviewed it. I, I fucking hated it. Uh, if you want to know why, go back. But the short story is, I'm not as big a fan of Mia Goth as most people. There are some people that literally worship the the ground she walks on, and I'm still waiting for her to give me a good performance. But again, that's just me. It's differing opinions. Blah blah blah. Um, Let's move on because I have nothing but vitriol for uh, Infinity Pool. So just so I don't shit on Mike's moment, let's just move on <laughs> to my number three. My number three is one that uh, <clears throat> I saw earlier in the year. And apparently no one saw this movie other than me and Dave Z because we are literally the only people that I know of that spoke about this movie. Dave Z, of course, from the Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast. Um, this movie did get a theatrical release out here in California. I know it got a VOD release a little bit later on, so it was available to watch. But when I saw this in theaters, it completely blew my mind. I knew this was going to be a top ten movie. When I started my rewatches, this movie was actually my number nine. And then I rewatched it this week and was completely riveted from beginning to end. This is on my third watch now. 
Um, our our lead, Sean Patrick Flannery, who I'm not really the biggest fan of in general, gives the performance of a lifetime in this movie. This is my second chamber piece, actually second chamber piece in a row. Uh, once again, a movie that takes place mostly in one location. And this movie, it's really just two guys having a conversation. How does How is that a horror movie, you might ask? It's the subject matter that they are talking about. Sean Patrick Flannery plays a convict by the name of Edward Wayne Brady, who is on death row. He has been given his execution date. And the other character in the movie um, is a psychiatrist played by uh, Jordan Belfi, uh, Dr. James Martin. Uh, he has been tasked with deciding if – Edward Wayne Brady is competent enough to be executed or is he insane? So, you know, this psychiatrist has to have a two hour conversation with this guy and then basically decide if he's insane or if he is of his right mind and uh, ready to be executed. And this movie where I've already said how much I love religious horror. This movie is definitely right. It is it is Bible thumping left and right, and I am on board for it. Just every single line that Patrick Flannery, Sean Patrick Flannery speaks in this movie is absolutely amazing, delivered with so much evil and just bad intent, and I absolutely adore it. Um, this movie is a 10 out of 10 for me. Yeah, does it have a lot of kills? No. But this movie doesn't need kills. Does it have any blood? No. Again, this movie doesn't need blood. Um, this is very much a cerebral horror film. It's definitely a thinker. You have to have at least some basic knowledge of the Bible and Lucifer himself to really, really get the gist of everything that's being talked about in this movie. Um, it just... I, like I said, I've seen it three times now. It blows me away every single time. And this is the type of movie where I never reach for my phone. I never look at my tablet. I am so riveted to the screen that I am just locked in to this entire conversation from beginning to its eventual end. And the only thing that I would knock this movie on is its ending. It, it, it's it's a good ending. It's a very solid ending. It's maybe not as over the top as I was hoping to see, but again, this is a very subdued movie, so it makes sense that it doesn't have a very over the top ending. So, without further ado, my number three movie of 2023 is Nefarious. I fucking love this movie. Sean, Pla Sean Patrick Flannery is now a god to me. And I'm not just talking about the god that he's portraying in this movie. I, he... This this is just some stellar acting if I've ever seen it. Just the fact that he is nothing like himself in this movie. If you know Sean Patrick Flannery's other roles, this one is like nothing else he's ever done, or at least nothing else that I've ever seen. He He's absolutely insane and evil, but at any given time, he sounds like the most down-to-earth and in-control character in this movie. Yeah, as I said, the majority of the movie is only the two characters. There are the warden will make an appearance every now and again. Obviously, a priest will show up on the day of the execution. So there are other people in the movie, but 95% of this movie is just two men talking in a room. 
and I have never been so riveted by a movie of two men just sitting in a room. And obviously it's the subject matter. It's, it's the subject matter. It works for me. It has that religious angle that I love in a lot of my horror. I mean, the score is okay. The cinematography is okay. Like most of the filmmaking elements of this film are not stellar or exceptional in any way. It is Sean Patrick Flannery's movie. He makes this movie what it is. And this is easily, literally, for those who don't know, I use, um, throughout the year, I use a 10-point system to rate my movies. Obviously, we don't rate movies on any of our shows, and I prefer it that way because ratings change all the time. But when I do my – and I, I've, I've probably said this the last few years, but I'll say it again. When I do my rewatches, I use a 100-point scale. I literally have a criteria of 20 different um, topics, and each one is scored 1 to 5. And then just whatever score you get at the end is your ultimate score. This movie came in at a fucking 98. There is nothing about this movie I don't like. Yes, I would have liked to have seen a little slightly more over-the-top ending, but it makes sense. And the fact that Glenn Beck actually appears in this movie as himself, I think that says a lot about the strength of this movie, because Glenn Beck is not the kind of guy who's just going to be in a horror movie, you know, willy-nilly. Like, this script obviously spoke to him the way it probably spoke to me and a lot of other people, and it made sense for him to play himself in the final scene of the film. So, again, this movie is stellar. I believe it is available on Prime Video, so if you have Amazon Prime, don't waste another second. Go and watch this movie. This movie is the surprise of the year for me. Uh, I expected nothing from this movie. I, you guys know I don't watch trailers, so I knew nothing about the movie. I believe it came out the same weekend as The Devil Conspiracy, which I ended up hating The Devil Conspiracy because of all the CG garbage, all, just way too much CGI. This movie I ended up watching the day after Devil Conspiracy and fucking loving it. Just, But like I said, it was number nine in my top ten when I started my rewatches, and then I watched it a couple of days ago and was floored by how effective this movie still is on the third watch, how amazing this dialogue is, this, these performances. Um, this is probably definitely the most oddball movie on my list because, it, like I said, I've heard no one other than Dave Z talk about this movie. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to talk about it on Fresh Cuts because, like I said, I think two or three different horror movies came out in theaters that weekend, and this one was a limited release, so I don't think Don and uh, Mike were able to get a screening near them, so we ended up going with a, a more national release for that week. But this is definitely my biggest regret of not covering on Fresh Cuts. I adore this film. I adore these performances, just everything about it. The movie's an hour and 37 minutes long. It feels like it's 45 minutes long. It just, it's just beautiful pacing. Like I said, if you're not a clock watcher, this movie goes by really, really fast. So again, Nefarious at number three, an absolute banger of a film that I think has been criminally ignored by the horror community. And, you know, like I said, because there's no kills, there's, you know, there's one on-screen death, but it's not even like a murder. It's something else. So I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that. But, yeah, 
this movie is just so, uh, to me, it just blew my mind. It's amazing. If this thing gets a physical release, I'm on top of it. This is something that I could watch a couple of times a year just to watch Sean Patrick Flannery's unhinged dialogue and just creepy, fucking unnerving, off-putting. I mean, there's a thousand adjectives that I can put on uh, Patrick Flannery's performance in this movie. So, yeah, if you haven't seen it, please do yourself a favor and check it out. Um, again, like I said, it is a slow movie. So if you're a fan of character-driven and dialogue-driven horror drama, this is the movie for you. If you know, if you need more horror action, set pieces, blood, gore, then just ignore the movie. Don't bother with it. But like I said, if you like uh, movies that make you think, this is that movie for 2023, at least for me. So yeah, Nefarious at number three. <laughs> with a 98 out of 100, if you can believe that. So, yeah, there you go. I'll shut up now. Uh, yeah, I think I think here I got, like, the one-night-one-showing release. <laughs> that's that's mm-hmm. what screwed me over for it. But, uh, okay, Don, number three for you. All right. Uh, yeah, my number three, I absolutely love this. Uh, I... Uh, I'm a huge fan of where this thing went. Um, maybe not necessarily the direction that we wanted when we first got hints of this 12, 13 years ago, but uh, the end result is something I am not going to complain about in the slightest. And my number three is Thanksgiving. I absolutely was impressed with this. Uh, you know, you go from a 70s, 80s style grindhouse to 90s teen slasher in the course of you know, 13 years, that's a pretty solid leap. And, uh, yeah, I, I had a, just an absolute blast with this. Great kills, a fantastic uh, main villain, a great setup. I, I love the whodunit mystery. There's a fantastic setup in the final act that just turns this thing into a just an absolutely over-the-top bonkers to wild ride, and I'm definitely on board with it. I had just a fun time with this. Like I said, it, it takes a little while to get used to the aesthetic, but uh, th- there's a lot to like here. Um, I mean, like I said, there's some great stalking scenes. There's a great, you know, main central killer that uh, I, you know, like we were saying earlier with Scream 6, uh, there's a potential here for more to follow. So I'm, I'm intrigued about that, uh, especially with the news that there is a sequel coming next year. And uh, I'm totally on board with it. If it's anything like this, um, Eli Roth may finally be a you know, worthwhile filmmaker to follow because I haven't enjoyed much of anything he's done before this. So, yeah, I, I absolutely <laughs> had a blast with it. And uh, like I said, my number three is Thanksgiving. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in that very, very small camp that Don is in where I, I've never really been impressed by anything Eli's done He's a good filmmaker, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he makes garbage, but his movies don't hit me the way that they hit a lot of other people. You know, some people talk about um, Cabin Fever and Hostel being like the second coming of like Craven and Romero, and they just didn't really do that for me. Like, I, I have a major problem watching a horror movie without a physical antagonist, so you know, virus movies and things like that haven't always been my favorite. And even though Cabin Fever is 
fairly gory and a fairly well-made movie, it still just never really worked for me. Hostel was just a disappointment. It, it, it was so overblown and so hyped up that when I finally went to see it, I'm like, where's all this gore and violence that people were fucking talking about and that people were passing out at the screeners for? Like, no, I'm sorry. This just doesn't work for me. Oh, a Japanese girl has her eye ripped out. Ooh, I've never seen that before. Anyway, it's just one of those things that I've always thought Eli Roth was a little overblown. I don't want to say overrated. I hate using that fucking word, but, you know, um, Definitely has, like, a large young audience, whereas, like, the grizzled old guard of horror like ourselves maybe weren't gravitating to him as much. But, yeah, Thanksgiving, he finally just made a fun horror movie that he didn't overthink. You know, he didn't overthink this like he overthought The Green Inferno, like he overthought Hostel. Um it's just a solid, fun slasher that, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely an honorable mention for me. I loved every second of it. I had a really, really good time, especially because it came out the same weekend of It's a Wonderful Knife, and It's a Wonderful Knife was just terrible, in my opinion, especially compared to Thanksgiving. It's terrible. Thanksgiving is head and shoulders a far superior movie. But, uh, yeah, I'm right there with Don. Thanksgiving was incredibly fun. Great kills, a good killer, a good mask. I mean, even even the mask I really liked, especially after he burned it in that one scene on the, uh, on the stove. Uh, I thought the mask looked just endlessly terrifying after he burned it. But, yeah, overall, just a really, really fun movie. Highly recommend it. I, I'm sure most people in the, in the community have seen it. It was a big release. Uh, a surprisingly successful film for Eli. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the second one and hoping that he just keeps that, you know, that same just kind of meanness to him, that um, the meanness to the kills and, and some of the characters in the movie and blah, blah, blah. Just, yeah, overall, a great, great film and easily my favorite Eli, Eli Roth movie, which is probably making a lot of people's heads explode right now. But, yeah, I've just never really been that big a fan. So, bravo, Mr. Roth. <laughs> yeah, Thanksgiving, definitely one of Roth's better movies. I mean, I, I like some of Eli Roth's movies, but I'm not a super fan of his by any means. I think he kind of falls into that category as, like, He's a better horror fan than a horror movie maker. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if, if if Elon or Elon Eli Roth, Whoa. yeah, I know, way different person. If Eli Roth invited us all to like sit down and have like a horror roundtable, I'd jump at the chance. But that doesn't mean I'm a fan of like his actual movies to that degree. Sort of like Rob Zombie, because like whenever Rob Zombie yep. talks about horror movies. I think it's always a fun conversation to listen to, but then yes. the actual movies he makes, it's very mixed bag. Yeah, I'm um, definitely on board with you with that sentiment. I, I just don't want to be talking about his movies if that's it for the invitation. Exactly. As long as the topic isn't his movies, I'm there. I feel the same way about Kirk Hammett. I mean, I, I am a big fan of early Metallica, 80s Metallica. Once 1990 rolled around, I, I was kind of done with it. But Kirk Hammett's knowledge of classic horror is absolutely stellar. 
And if you, if, there's a YouTube video of a tour of his house, and he has all of these great props and death masks and life masks and and different screen used objects. I mean, his house is basically a classic horror museum. And when I say classic, I'm talking black and white, you know, universal horror. He is a big fan, obviously, of like the the, the horror of of our time, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s. But, uh, yeah, very knowledgeable. I never, ever want to hear another Metallica song, but I'll talk to Kirk Hammett all day. <laughs> They're still operating as an active unit? Oh, God, unfortunately, yeah. And that, I man, know, I was I, making a joke. I, I listened to three songs off that last album, and uh, I threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> uh, last thing I heard was Death Magnetic, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I made the joke. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. That's why I listen to Cattle Decapitation now. <laughs> Solid. By the way, their new my, album was great. Since we're talking about top tens, my my number one album of the year is Cattle Decapitation. Terrasite is fucking spectacular. But oh. I know that's a conversation for another show. <laughs> yeah, my number two after the new Cannibal Corpse. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, it's. It's probably my top five. I might I might have Black Braids, Black Braid Two, nice. as my top, but it's I'd have to. I, I'm so behind on like listening to new metal that I'd have to like really give it all a listen. But uh, before we get too sidetracked, because man, I would love to do a top ten of that. Right, we're, we're all metalheads here. <laughs> it's really easy to get sidetracked. <laughs> all right, so my number three. Okay, so this one. Uh, at least for American audiences, it was an A24 release, but I remember seeing the trailer, and when the A24 logo came up, I was like, wow, it almost feels like a more Bl- uh, Blumhouse-type story, but with the A24 logo on it, and that's because A24 actually just bought the rights to distribute this one. It's an Australian movie, um, and it's Talk to Me, and... I think this is kind of like a modern twist on a classic tale, a cursed object, uh, a little bit of possession, horror going on in it, some grotesque stuff, some uh, stories about loneliness, maybe a little guilt, isolation, all that kind of stuff wrapped up in a, in a movie that you would um, expect from the studio, even though the fact that they didn't make it, which is maybe why they saw something in it and wanted to get distribution. Um, big fan of this one. I thought, you know, it tried to be scary in moments, which is good. And overall, I just I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, it seemed like most reaction was positive, too. I remember we all liked it for the most part um, on Fresh Cuts, obviously to varying degrees, because it's my number three. It might not even be on uh, uh, top list, but... Hey, I I really liked it. I liked uh, the hand. I liked that. I think they even sold like a replica props mm-hmm. of the talk to me hand because I've seen like people post pictures with different ones. Yeah, right. Um, has one. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. His name is, yeah. Turek, yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So talk to me. My number three movie. So talk to me was a little bit of a surprise to me because I I loved it when I first saw it and it was actually believe it or not it was my number five uh, on my top ten when I started my rewatches um the issue with me on these rewatch on this rewatch was the cast um I'm okay with the main girl um 
And then the brother and sister, I'm okay with all of them. It's the other friends that kind of left me a little sour. Um, I, I don't know. Something the, – the, the sheer bravado of these kids knowing what they're doing but then voluntarily doing it. And then how did they figure out the 90 seconds thing? Like, it, I feel like somebody somewhere got taken, and then they're like, oh, okay, so it's 90 seconds. <laughs> you know? Uh, I don't know. It, there's definitely plot holes in the movie. They're not ultra bad. Like, they don't necessarily ruin my enjoyment of the movie. But when I'm sitting down and I'm putting a top ten list together, those are the kind of things that stick out in my head. It's always the negatives more than the positives that stick out in my head. So overall, a great cold open, some real brutal kills in the movie, um, you know, the whole thing with how the hand works and what it actually does, I'm, I'm bored for. Um, the ending left me a little sour the first time I saw it, but then when I watched it uh, multiple more times after that, um, I started warming up to it. It made sense, and it probably was the only ending that really made sense for this story, short of something very, very tragic happening to our main character. Um, but, yeah, overall, I loved it, and I'm actually very shocked it did not make my top ten, because, like I said, number five when I started my rewatches, but it just kept getting, uh, like, as I rewatched Evil Dead and Ashvins and Project Wolf Hunting, I realized I liked all of them more, so... It just made sense to kind of bump it until finally, just today, Knock at the Cabin bumps it out of the number 10 spot. So Talk to Me is literally my number 11 of the year. Um, definitely thought highly of it. You know, I liked a lot of it, but it doesn't have the rewatchability for me that a lot of the other movies in my top 10 do. And rewatchability is one of my criteria. So, you know, obviously it's going to suffer a little bit there. Um, but a great movie nonetheless, and a really big success, too, like a, a surprising success for A24. So, you know, hopefully we get more fun horror like this out of A24. Don't get me wrong, I love their more serious, you know, cerebral, elevated, whatever stupid adjective you want to use, you know, horror, art house horror, whatever. Um, but this was definitely a fun entry. Um, that actually was good because I know a lot of people would probably say Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was a fun entry from A24, and I fucking hate that movie. So at least Talk to Me is watchable and fun and entertaining um, as opposed to, you know, that other thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very okay with it being this high on a list. I've seen multiple lists that have it at number one, and I'm okay with that. It is potentially one of the best horror movies that played in theaters this year, so... If, if if you're not a psycho like us where you're watching like one to 200 horror movies every year, yeah, it might be your number one. So I got no problem with that whatsoever. It's a fun movie. It's a good movie. I wish the characters were a little bit more organic, but it's, it, you know, it's a cast of high school kids. And the older I get, the more I find those types of casts less and less entertaining. So it's probably just the crotchety old man in me speaking. Mike is obviously 10 years younger than me, so... That probably speaks to why he likes it a little bit more. <laughs> the youth of the show is speaking. <laughs> there you go. I think Don is the youth of the show, but that's okay. Yeah. Probably. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. I, uh, I'm going to turn 40 this year, so I'm the youth of the show. Yep. Yep. You got Mike by what, a couple of years at, at least. Mm -hmm. Nice. All right. Where are we? Is it my turn? <laughs> yeah, you're number two. Uh, yes, sir. Number All two. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm going to make... My number two was weird. Um, 
if you know me, it's not weird, but the statement that I'm about to make is weird, and I will explain myself. The The movie that I have on my number two horror list in my top ten is my favorite movie of the year. Let me repeat that. My number two horror movie on my list is my absolute favorite movie of the year. Why is it number two on my horror list, you might ask? The only reason it is is because there was one movie that I feel represented horror a little bit more. I, I personally have always said creature features are horror. Kaiju is horror. It's a fucking 300-foot lizard crushing your house. How's that not horror? I mean, it's not a drama. It's not a comedy. So what the hell else is it? But, and I think I've already kind of tipped my hat. So, of course, my number two is the greatest Godzilla movie I think I've ever seen. It is Godzilla Minus One. I've now seen it uh, even dozen times. I actually, uh, I actually got to watch it at home. Finally, somebody got me like a just a shitty um, recording of it. But uh, eleven times I watched it in the theater. I don't remember the last time I watched a movie in double digits in the theater. I think the South Park movie was probably yeah, the last I can't even one. Remember the last time I've made it, watched a movie in the double digits period? No, I know. I hear you. But, man, when a movie speaks to me, it really fucking speaks to me. So, of course, my number two, Godzilla Minus One. No fucking surprise. Don and myself, we're both lifelong, you know, Godzilla and Kaiju fans. You guys know that we're on Creature Comforts. We were formerly on Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. We are Kaiju fans. And this movie, like I said, it absolutely is a horror film. And it's a horror film because I don't want to see anyone die. I love all these characters in this movie. So I feel actual tension when Godzilla is marauding through the, the city and may potentially hurt one of our main characters. I've never felt like that. Not since the original. Not since that mother and child in the original who get crushed by that building have I felt something for a human character character in a Godzilla movie. So this movie is an absolute 10 out of 10. Amazing storytelling, amazing, likable and down to earth characters with real world problems. Um, you know, a, a, a city trying to rebuild from a war that they probably never wanted to be a part of. And then now they're dealing with another war right away consecutively with this giant fucking lizard. So this movie gave me everything I could ever want from a Godzilla movie and more. I'm not going to sit here and say that there's never going to be a better Godzilla movie because that would be short-sighted. But I just adore this movie with a fiery passion. I loved every goddamn second of it. The effects are amazing. The acting is amazing. The score is stellar. The cinematography, the effects... Just, I mean, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that I can nitpick about this movie. Um, but like I said, my number one movie of the year did things to me that few horror movies I've ever done, which is why it is my number one. But my number two, and I will die on this hill, Godzilla Minus One is absolutely a horror movie, and it is my number two horror movie of 2023. And we talked about it Amazing. enough times to know that I'm right there with you. Yeah. Oh, God, this movie. Just sitting here thinking about it is like 
making my heart race and like I want to watch it again right away, but I got to wait for a physical release now. But uh, yeah, it's finally not in theaters out here in California anymore. But the fact that it was only supposed to be out for a week and we ended up getting a solid month in theaters, I, I, I can't thank the gods of cinema enough. This goddamn and if you were one of the lucky few who got to see this in IMAX, holy shit, what an experience that was! I had to wait until the second week of release because of the Beyonce movie taking up all the IMAX screens. But when I finally saw it at Universal, I, I went to Universal Studios to watch it there, and my god, what what an experience! So yeah. Easily my favorite theatrical experience of the year. Easily my favorite movie of the year, regardless of genre. But like I said, I'll explain more about my number one when we get to it. So yeah, number two, Godzilla minus one. All right, Don, tell us your number two. All right. Well, uh, our number two was mentioned earlier, and uh, I know the last time I said that it wasn't for the uh, right reasons, but um, it is this time around for the right reasons. Uh, my number two was Evil Dead Rise. I absolutely had such a fucking blast with this. Uh, it may not. It always surprises me when a new Evil Dead movie just surprises me because this is so strange in that it's the only franchise that I've seen everything is a 10 out of 10, but yet I've not, I don't ever really think of it as like my all time favorite franchise just because it's not. And yeah, this is another instance where it, it may be number five, but it's the fifth film in the fifth film in the franchise where it's a 10 out of 10. I, I can't think of anything else because uh Sharknado is the only one that's come close and uh, number six is an eight out of 10. It's the only one that fucks up the run, but <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, I just I, I I just love this. Um, I, I mean, the cold open is just one of my favorite things I've ever seen in the franchise. The gore is just amazing. The setup with the mother and just the way that she just turns into this batshit insane creature. I was smiling ear to ear watching her just toy with the children. Not. The way that they just fail to realize what's going on, and it just lets them get stuck deeper and deeper and deeper. It was just such a such an amazing time, and I I had such a fun experience just watching that unfurl in the final act, where everything just turns to hate. Just it, yeah, it was just an absolute blast. I I absolutely loved it. It's another fantastic entry in the series where everything is a ten out of ten. And yeah, I am completely on board with wanting more. I I don't know why, but this franchise has just always worked for me. So yeah, uh, my number two is Evil Dead Rise. Man, I, I never really thought about it until you made the statement just now, Don, but I, I 100% agree with you. I could make an argument for every single entry in the in the Evil Dead franchise being a 10 out of 10. Um, I, I famously love the remake. I think the remake is absolutely stellar, but I, I love every single Evil Dead movie, yet it's not even a top three franchise for me. And that, that, when I actually hear it out loud, it sounds weird that I can yeah. make an argument for all five of these movies being a 10 out of 10, but it's not my favorite horror franchise. That is interesting. So yeah, I, I think me and Don might need some therapy. I don't know. 
Um, do you think it's because well, because now there's what five of them? Do you think yep. maybe? And that's even if you because even though technically it's not a movie, I even think the show was good. Ash versus the show is a fucking ten out of ten too. Absolutely, yeah. I fucking love the show. Oh my um, god, yeah, maybe Evil Dead is secretly my favorite franchise, and I just can't accept it. I don't know, that's weird. Because Evil Dead is definitely not what I gravitate towards. Like, if I'm just sitting around the house and I want to watch a horror movie, I tend to either go slashers or zombies. If I go slashers, it's Jason. If I go zombies, it's Romero. Um, I almost never just grab an Evil Dead movie and pop it in. That is interesting. You you need Hmm. your dead eye. Your dead eye, Phil. Yeah, maybe. Kandarian demons. (laughs) I, I think it's the... I, I don't know if this is the proper way to say this. And, you know, again, this could be something for another time. I, I think it's the space in between releases because it's, what, 42, 43 years old and there's five entries in the franchise? Yeah, that's true. You think that, you know, they space them out so much that, it, you know, when they show up, they're special. But because there's not a, there's not a whole, whole lot of them, that it, it's easy for them to just get lost in the shuffle. But then they appear amazing when you think of them. Potentially, yeah. I, I I could definitely I can see that argument. I wouldn't argue against that. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, hell, we had to wait nine years between uh, the remake and Evil Dead Rise. So yeah, maybe if they get yeah. us another one in less than nine years, <laughs> it may change my opinion of the franchise. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> um. All right. So my number two. So. If we were rating this strictly on theatrical experience, this would have been my number one. It's just that there happens to be one movie that did a little bit more overall. But Godzilla minus one, holy shit. Like, this is the one movie, even though it's not my number one, this would be the one movie on my list that outside of, like, someone not having, like, the means to get to the theater to watch it, I would say there's just no excuse. Like, I understand for some people it's either financial or just lack of time. I I sympathize, obviously, with the lack of time one, being a parent. There's way more movies I'd want to see in the theater, horror and otherwise, that I just don't get a chance to, so I understand. And financial, like, obviously, that's a personal thing to people. But if you if that's if neither of those are an issue, this is the one movie where I'm like you cannot. Well, I guess it's too late now. But back when it was still playing in the theaters, you can. There's just no excuse not to go see this one in the theater. God, like I don't know if Godzilla has ever looked better. Like, and I'm and you guys would know better than me because there's obviously some gaps in the the Godzilla. I don't know if you call it franchise or just lore of all the movies that the, that Godzilla has been featured. I haven't seen every single one, but I've seen plenty. And my God, like when Godzilla appears on screen, it's it's just so incredible for what they did for the budget. I one of the reasons I'm such like a huge critic um, of modern day CGI is because. I feel like in so many so many movies with like twice, three times, ten times the budget as Godzilla minus one, they can't manage to make it look good. Mm-hmm. And Godzilla minus one on on that budget for Godzilla to look that good, not just Godzilla himself, 
but just like all the carnage, everything going on in the movie, for it to look so incredible throughout the entire running time. So many other horror movies, and I guess even not some non-horror movies, you can be following along in the movie, and like the terrible-looking cheap CGI can take you out of it. In this movie, even though you know it, it's like enhanced, you know, digitally, it doesn't matter because it just looks so good. The story in this, the the human characters that a lot of people you a lot of times don't care about, like there is no weaknesses in this movie. Um, I I'm so glad I went to see it. Like I I probably would have seen it anyway, but just the initial like positive reaction when it was still not everywhere playing in the country. Um, the fact that it got, I think I saw it, the, I can't remember if I did see it that first weekend or the second weekend, but I saw it relatively early on. And after that, I was just telling everyone that would listen, like, no, you need to go see the theater. Like I, I understand for repeat viewing. Sure. Eventually if we're going to watch it, it's going to be at home, but for your first watch of it, you have to get to the theater to see it. Cause I don't care what your home theater looks like it's not going to match a giant screen with Godzilla. Like, I don't care if it's the drive-in, go see it there if if that's the better option for you, but man, this movie's amazing and like I've seen many different iterations, different like tones in Godzilla movies and this is just about as perfect as it as it gets. Um like I don't know what else to say that hasn't been said about it. I know you guys have talked about it. Um, already at length and I'm sure it was just all praise because like I don't know what doesn't deserve praise about this movie it, it's it's everything like if you could if you could almost formulate like a stereotypical Godzilla movie in your head of what it should be this is it like a hundred percent and uh, for every I, I would say this makes up for almost every like miss of that happened over the past twenty years. Like, and a lot of it is American releases. Like, because like I said, I haven't seen like all the international Godzilla movies over the past twenty years, but I have seen like some American ones that I was either lukewarm on or just didn't like at all. But this one is so damn good that it pretty much like makes up for it. Like, I based on this alone. I'll go see the next one without knowing anything just because, like, now I know, like, it can be this damn good. And like I said, if we were basing our list merely on, like, what we thought walking out of the theater, this probably would have been my number one. But I, I think everyone knows what my number one is going to be since it hasn't been mentioned and there's no way it's not going to be on my list. Same with Venom. I'm pretty sure I know. <laughs> uh, Don, I, I have a good guess to... because he's only doing Fresh Cuts movies, so I'm I think we've all got to see number one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm guessing so, but uh, I just had to make that like clarification about it because, like, I I did struggle. Like, I'm like, man, I don't know. Maybe this should be my number one, but I it, it's almost like a co number one. I if, if 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 that's even a fair thing to say, but yeah, Godzilla minus one, pretty much a flawless movie. Um, hopefully. Hopefully, like, on some of the anniversary, they re-release it in theaters, like, in the future. Because I have a feeling that, like, everybody that watches at home as a first-time watch is going to regret instantly that they didn't go to the theater. But I have a feeling they'll get a chance in the future. Maybe, like, yeah. take their kids or family that, like, is new to Godzilla to, to show them, like, this is how it's done. 
But I'll leave it at that because I'm starting to ramble about it. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, man, God, I, re- really I really, nice really so hope good. we get that black and white version released out here. There's no plans as of right now for us to get the black and white version that's playing in Japan theaters right now. It's in Japanese theaters as we speak. Um, but, man, if we could get that here. I mean, it'll probably be on the Blu-ray anyway. Um, you know, so once we get a physical release, I'm sure it'll be on there, but I would really love to see this in theaters on a big screen in black and white. Um, I don't think it's going to be better necessarily, but because of people like Don and me being old school Godzilla heads, um, just seeing that black and white presentation, it definitely means a lot. And it probably, it'll take us back to, you know, watching 1954 for the first time, you know? So, oh, there's so, so many scenes. I'm 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 just waiting to see how they're gonna look like because exactly. I, did, I I am so dying to see what that opening is gonna look like in black and white. I mean, uh, oh. I want to see that atomic breath in black and white so bad. Oh jeez. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. All right, all right. Uh, we're done uh, soiling our pants now. Let me let me. Yeah, let me ask you guys a quick question, and we don't we don't have to dwell on it, but just like a quick answer. When it comes to Godzilla, do you consider all Godzilla movies horror by default because it's a giant monster rampaging around, or does it depend? Like after you watch no. it, then you kind of like I, figure out if you want to call it horror. For me, Godzilla size has never meant that he is a horror villain because I prefer horror to be about a monster's sole purpose to be actively hunting and killing people. So his size automatically prevents him from ever being one. Although I will say that uh, there are horrific moments and uh, there are, um, I I will say that uh, films like Rodan is incredibly close. Um, I I think the Megan year on first half is um, actually far better than most horror films, um, especially from that time period. And uh, especially um, another one would be War of the Gargantuas because that one is also another one where, okay, yeah, they're a little bit bigger, but um, especially in the first half when they're actively known to be eating people, that one does come close. But um, for Godzilla specifically, I, his size has always meant that he's ineligible. But uh, there, like I said, I, I do think that there are horrific moments in other films in the franchise. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, to me, if it's a creature feature, it's a horror movie. I mean, I, I understand Don's point, and I'm not arguing it, because um, it's true. Godzilla's main purpose isn't specifically to kill people, so I absolutely understand that justification. But for me, it's a giant monster, and if we saw a giant monster in real life, none of us none of us would say, oh, this is dramatic, or this is comedic, or no, it's scary as shit. <laughs> you see, it's I was going to say, where's my... I was going to say, where's my new change of underwear? Exactly, yeah. So that's what I mean. That's kind of how I look at a film if it's a horrific situation. If it happens in real life, would you think that you're living in a horror movie? And if I lived in Tokyo during any Godzilla attack, I would think I'm living in a horror movie. So that's just me. Admittedly, some Godzilla movies are more horror than others. Um, I could make the argument for Godzilla versus Megagaris is a legitimate horror movie because Megagaris starts off as a very, you know, kind of a series of small creatures that actually does attack people and stalk people. Like there's legitimate stalking scenes in Godzilla versus Megagaris. So, you know, there are 
arguments to say that some Godzilla movies are more horror than others. And then there's those kind of, you know, 70s horror, um, Godzilla, late 60s and early 70s Godzilla movies that really were just made for kids, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, GMK, I don't think anybody would ever say GMK is a horror movie, you know? It's Or Son of Godzilla or, you know, there a whole plethora of movies uh, in that lineage that nobody's going to call scary. I understand that, but ultimately... Megalon. Yeah, oh, Megal- oh, big time. Megalon, Gigan, absolutely. Um, yeah. But ult- ultimately, to me, just just so that I never have to have any kind of caveats or arguments, I just, if it's a creature feature, if it's a kaiju movie, I say it falls under horror. Is it its first genre? Of course not. But to me, you know, for whatever it's worth, yeah, it falls. Like Shin Godzilla, if I was podcasting back then, would have made my top ten. So, you know, that, 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 for whatever that's worth. Um, anyway, where were we? <laughs> I think it's all time for us to wax positively on Perpetrator, right? <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, that means uh, you, guys didn't have, you guys didn't have that as your number one? Oh, damn. I thought we were going <laughs> Titanic 666. What the fuck? <laughs> well, that was last year. <laughs> oh, whatever. <laughs> anyway. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um... <laughs> When evil lurks, I mean, who wants to take the lead here? Oh well, I mean, it's my country, so I gotta. Basically, I was gonna start out by saying, for the first time since 2019, a Spanish horror movie is my number one horror movie of the year. Now, in 2019, it was Tigers Are Not Afraid, which technically was out of Mexico, but it's still a Spanish language one, so I'll accept it. But yeah. When Evil Lurks, what the fuck can I say about this movie? There are images in this movie that will stay with me forever. This is why I said Godzilla Minus One is objectively my favorite movie of the year, bar none. But When Evil Lurks did shit to me that few movies have done. That dog attack was so fucking brutal and so unexpected. You see this cute little six-year-old blonde Spanish girl, you think, oh, what what bad could happen to her? And then fucking wham! Out of nowhere, one of the most vicious attacks ever. I'm sorry I'm talking spoilers, folks, but I'm, I'm gonna, because I fucking love this movie. And then the, the image that's going to stick with me the longest is the image of a mother literally eating her own child's brain out of its skull like it's a fucking popcorn tub. Are you kidding me? First of all, the sick fucker who even thought of that deserves an award. Thank you, Damien Rudna. Absolutely adore that you went there. You didn't sugarcoat anything about this movie. Kids, the scene where the kids are repeatedly hitting that woman in the head with a hammer, she's already dead, and it still looks like it fucking hurts, and I I cringe at every single hammer hit. Um, I talked about the fact that when we reviewed this on Fresh Cuts, I talked about this being one of the first uh, demonic possession movies that has zero religion in it. They don't even bring up the church or religion at all in this movie. And I fucking love it because it is still solidly a demonic possession movie, but they don't muck it up with all of the Catholicism that most exorcism movies have to deal with. 
the way that the rotten or possessed is introduced is so stellar. The path that these two brothers go on throughout this movie, trying to do the right thing, but making the wrong decisions. And, and another thing that I said when we reviewed this is how this poor guy, our main character, literally makes the wrong decision at every turn but you don't hate him for it. He's not a stupid horror movie character who's just ignorant. He's just a guy who lives in the country and just doesn't understand what's going on. He is trying to do the best that he can for his family, for his kids, for his ex-wife, for his brother, for everyone involved. And unfortunately, because he doesn't quite grasp the situation until it's too late, he continues to make wrong decisions, but you're never yell like I never once yelled at him, which I constantly do. Anybody who watches horror movies with me, at least at home, I have the respect to shut up in a theater. But at home, I am constantly talking, and when a character does something stupid, I will be the first one to say, "Well, that was fucking stupid." But in this movie, absolutely not. It's ending. The the sense of dread that this ending leaves you with is palpable. I mean, you could feel it in your heartbeat as you're walking out of this theater. This town is fucked. Even though we don't see the brunt of what the, I guess, quote-unquote demon is going to do, we the sense of dread that it leaves you with and then the final realization of what happens at the end of the movie with the grandson and his grandmother it, it's a gut punch it's an absolute gut punch it hits you so goddamn hard especially if you don't see it coming um there are clues throughout the movie that it's coming there are you know multiple um, events that kind of point to what is going to happen between the grandson and the grandmother. But then when we get that reveal, it's like, oh, shit. And to think that this guy could have ended the whole thing if he would have just listened to the cleaner, if he would have listened to everything that the cleaner said to him, you know, they would have avoided a lot of horror. But because he continued to try to do his own thing under the guise of doing what's right for his family, understandably, but still making the wrong decisions just makes him one of the most sympathetic characters. Um, as far as like most sympathetic, it's going to be either be this guy, the main character in When Evil Lurks, or Tendo, the main character in Zom 100, as like, you know, some of the most... Um, likable characters in horror this year and just unfortunate ones, you know, ones that, you know, in Tendo's case, he's just kind of a wishy-washy little bitch, so he lets people walk all over him. In this one, he's just ignorant. He just doesn't know any better. And, you know, you want to, it's like you want to hate him, but you can't because, again, he's not being maliciously stupid. He's just, he just doesn't fully understand what's going on. But like I said, the images in this movie, the score, the brutality and surprise of some of the kills, like a lot of the kills in this movie come out of nowhere. It's not like there's stalking and then there's a final like stab or something. No, some of these kills just come out of fucking nowhere and that's effective. That's incredibly effective uh, for a horror film. So, yeah, like I said, even though Godzilla is my number one favorite movie of the year, nothing even comes close. What Evil Lurks 
was the best pure horror film of the year. It left me with feelings that I don't like, and that's when a horror movie is truly effective, when you feel dirty at, at the end of it, or when you feel like, oh, man, I did not like the path that this movie went on, but the feeling that I have is so tangible that you, it can't be denied what the movie did. Like I said, between the images in this movie, the dialogue, some of the dialogue in this movie that the possessed people actually speak, it's very similar to what we got out of Evil Dead Rise. Maybe not quite as fun, if you will. Nothing quite as fun as Mommy is with the maggots now. But still, there are some lines in this movie that, you know, your, your eyes cross when you hear them. Um, I can't say enough good things about this movie. This movie made me uncomfortable. It made me, um, because some of the attacks in this movie, specifically the first couple, come out of nowhere, you're basically at attention for the whole rest of the movie. Because the next kill could literally be coming a blink, and you might miss it, or you might miss the beginning of it, or whatever. So when a movie demands that kind of attention how can it not be the number one movie of the year? So, yeah, for me, this was a no-brainer. As much as I love Godzilla and Nefarious, When Evil Lurks is just an absolute masterpiece. 10 out of 10. Damien Rugna has instantly turned into one of my favorite directors. And one other thing that I wanted to say, and this point might be moot, I don't know, but I brought this up last year in the Top 10 show, that all of my number one movies – for the whole eight years that I've been podcasting, they're always one of two types of movies. They're either over-the-top fun gore fests, like The Sadness, VFW, The Void. Those are all past movies that have been my number ones of the year. And then the other type of movie is the more cerebral thinker, the St. Maud's, the Midsommar's, um, The Witch, things like that. This year, for the first time, I feel like a movie mixed both of those flawlessly. We get gore and brutal attacks. We don't get anything to the level of the sadness by any stretch of the imagination. But the kills that we get are so abrupt and so brutal that it leaves you feeling, you know, almost dirty by the time it's over, but then they combine the cerebral aspect of it. The fact that this is a spectacular story, this movie doesn't live and die by its kills the way something like the sadness or VFW does. This one also has a stellar story, great acting, great performances, but then still gives me those guilty pleasure kills that I can't get enough of. And like I said, that one scene with the mother and son that I described, that scene is going to live rent-free in my head for the rest of my fucking life because it was just something I was not prepared for, and it genuinely affected me. So, yeah, when evil lurks, bravo. I'm giving you a standing ovation as I speak. Amazing film, 10 out of 10. Nothing even comes close to it in the horror genre. That's it for me. Um, I, I don't have much else to add, but uh, I'm totally on board, and I second everything you said. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't have a ton to add because you said a lot of the stuff I probably would have <laughs> said. The one thing I'll add, and I think I made this point briefly on Fresh Cuts, but just to expound upon it, this movie, its initial release, at least for the in the theaters here, 
it released the same week as Exorcist Believer, and I saw them both the same day. And I, I don't want to like beat up on Exorcist Believer too much, even though I did think it was pretty terrible. But the but the point is not that Exorcist Believer was bad. It was there's a there's a stark contrast. Um, even if Exorcist Believer would have been a good movie and we all would have like been like, yeah, it's fine. The main difference is there's probably nothing in Exorcist Believer that could have been surprising, shocking, new, uh, a twist. Because that's the type of movie where you go and you're hoping for something good, but 99% chance you're going to know the movie beat for beat before you even watch it. Because that's the type of movie it felt like from opening scene on. Even when I saw the trailer, I was like, yeah, they're just doing another Exorcist movie. Hopefully it's good. Unfortunately, it wasn't. Then you throw on When Evil Lurks or you go to the theater and see it. And it's also referred to as, like, a possession movie for the most part. And just the fact that, like, there's world building here. There's new lore. There's all sorts of things you aren't expecting. There's uh, turns in the story. It, It felt like from scene to scene, from setting to setting, you didn't know what was coming next. And... Not only was it good, because plenty of movies can be good that you've you've seen everything in it before, but to me this uh, this felt like more than just a good movie. It felt like a awesome new experience seeing it in a the theater because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know where we were going to end up at the end of the movie, despite all like the the shocking stuff and the gore and how uh, how the the main two brothers were kind of like screw ups in life you're used to so many movies that like but in the end here comes our redemption and this movie pulled that rug out from you by the end of it and <laughs> I, I just think it's like is something there's something to be said when not only is a movie really good but it also feels like a new experience seeing it it feels like i haven't seen this kind of movie before and i thought the, i thought this movie did a great job doing it um, I couldn't ex- like. There's no other movie, at least in recent history, that I can like put this like a hundred percent in the category of. Um, there's elements, of course. Or, you know, there's some tropes. There's some things in it that, of course, you've seen in other movies. But as a whole, as, as like uh, the the world that this takes place in is just great. Like these guys are pretty much on their own, right? There's no infrastructure set up to help them. They find. A uh, lady throughout it that has some knowledge uh, that does somewhat help them, but even that gets turned on its head eventually. I love the fact that like uh, the the movie sets up like background and lore about like what's going on, but everybody believes it in the movie to a varying degree. Like some people treat it as like oh it's just like the old tales that our our grandparents and their grandparents would tell to scare us and keep us in line. Where there's other Others with, like, they think they have some type of personal experience with it. So what happens is when the shit hits the fan, there is no infrastructure really set up to, like, help them with any of it. It's it's all pretty much we're trying to figure out as we go. Well, this guy says this is the way to do it. Okay, that didn't work. Well, uh, this person thinks that they know this. And it just throughout the movie, like, the 
the expectations that oh they might succeed at this and it's just failure after failure and it just keeps hitting and by the end of it it's just man it's a gut punch and it's fantastic like I can't I can't say like in a in a year that I thought was like okay um, I'm glad that at least the heights that this movie was able to hit. It, it, it stands up to like most other years, I think, as as a number one movie. Um, so yeah, not much else to say. Like I said, Venom, his his beautiful praise rant. I wouldn't even call it a rant because it was all praise, but <laughs> I, I echo all of that along with what I've had to say about it, along with what Don had to say about. Yeah, uh, super worthy number one. That's probably why it ended up number one on all of our lists. That's the first time, uh, right? We've all agreed. Yeah, because uh, Mike was the so. dumbass that put uh, Mike was the dumbass that put sadness at number two. Oh right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what can I say? Um, but uh, I don't even know what else. I, I think that 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 might have been it. But yeah, just incredible. When evil lurks, and uh, funny enough, this is the one movie where like I did rewatch it, but I didn't even feel like I had to. I just wanted to <laughs> because from the moment I saw it, it was instantly number one at that point and i was like okay i was like i'm not gonna say nothing can knock it off because we still have some months to go but other than like i said other than seeing godzilla minus one in the theater nothing even like approached the ability to try to knock this off at number one yeah absolutely definitely um i mean you know i was talking about how earlier when i when i watch my number one movie of every year i know it's my number one movie and even though brooklyn 45 kind of fell out it was when evil lurks that originally knocked it out cuz goddamn walking out of that move uh, walking out of that theater i was literally saying well i i, I was saying what mike wasn't I, I can't imagine something beating this i mean unless we get the sadness too before the end of the year, I don't see anything topping this. That, with the emotions that it left me with, um, the love that I had for these characters, the despair that I felt throughout the movie, and even walking out of the theater, the despair that you feel. Because, you, you know, you got to think about what's going to happen after. This is one of those movies where we could, they could literally do a direct sequel. I don't know if it would be good, necessarily. I mean, hopefully it would be as good. But it would be a lot more over the top because, you know, with the ending of When Evil Lurks, you know, happening the way it does, that sense of dread of what's going to happen to not just this town, but potentially the entire country because of this guy just not being able to listen to people around him who are trying to help him. It's 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 frustrating and sad all at the same time. And it's just so effective. Like. There, there's, it's rare that I say a movie is literally a 100 out of 100 because there's always something to nitpick, but I found nothing wrong with this movie. My top two movies, I can't find anything wrong with them. Like if literally I, I went through both of them this week meticulously trying to find negative things that would make my list a little bit easier to put together, but with these top two and really my top three, because Nefarious is damn near a perfect film as well, though I don't think it's going to be as universally loved as, you know, Godzilla and One Evil Lurks. But for me personally, it absolutely worked. It is a flawless film. I know it's not going to work for everybody, but hopefully if 
I would love it if people would contact us after this is over. Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you can hit us up and let us know. Did you actually even know that Nefarious was a thing before you heard our top ten list? Because, like I said, one other person in the entire fucking world that I heard talk about this movie. Like, even YouTube reviewers that usually do all horror, they even still skipped Nefarious. Like, I don't remember seeing many Nefarious um, reviews when that came out. I talked about it on the main show during our What We've Been Watching section because uh, we didn't have the opportunity to do it on Fresh Cuts, but goddamn. Um, mm. I agree with uh, Mike's earlier sentiment about this year being top-heavy because my top three movies are 10 out of 10s with my number four being a very close 10 out of 10. And even my number five at ZOM 100 is damn near a flawless, you know, heartwarming zombie tale. So, yeah, um, it was a very top-heavy year, but at least there was something there, which is why I try not to nitpick on the quality of an overall year of cinema because these top three or four movies on my list are all stellar. And any year that they come out, they're going to be near the top of my list. So I don't have the grievances with 2023 that a lot of other people do. I guess I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now, and either it's too generic a title or nobody's covering. But, yeah, I'm looking up YouTube right now, and I'm not seeing anything for Nefarious. Yeah, I'm seeing the trailer. It's, it's, yeah, I'm seeing the trailer, but there's nothing. Uh, it's criminally underwatched. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's, uh, where did I say it was available? Oh, it's Amazon Prime. Yeah, Prime is one of the more expensive streaming apps. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not just an app that you're paying for with Amazon Prime. You're paying for everything else. So I understand maybe not as many people have Amazon Prime as have Netflix or Shutter or whatever. But, yeah, if you got Prime, I'll, I mean, yeah, Nefarious and When Evil Lurks are both on, AM, on, on Prime right now. So fucking get up. Well, When Evil Lurks is on Shutter anyway, but, yeah. Regardless, I think all the movies that we talked about today need to be watched. You know, I mean, there's there's some bangers on here. There's some surprises like Ashvin's was a big surprise for me. I did not anticipate that being in my top 10, but it definitely jumped up on my rewatch. So, yeah, I don't know what else there is to say. I'll hand it over to Mike. Uh, the only thing. Um, I have a couple honorable mentions. Some of them were actually on your guys' list. Uh, Hussara Bone Woman, Thanksgiving, uh, Cocaine Bear. I actually had, uh, on, a, on a second watch, Suitable Flesh actually kind of went up for me. Um, ah. Watching that, I was like, how? Uh, it's pretty impressive that they landed Heather Graham for that because, like, the rest of the cast, I can totally see. But uh, Heather Graham, I thought, was, was pretty good. And that, and I actually had it lives inside as honorable mention. Um, yes, that was another one for me. Yeah, it lives inside was was another one for me. Um, the only yeah. the only honorable mention I have that hasn't already been discussed. I mean, I've got Scream Six and Talk to Me as honorable mentions, but the only one that hasn't been discussed is another movie like Nefarious that I heard no one talking about yet. I saw it in a theater, and that's Hunter Killer. Uh, and again, it's not two words, Hunter Killer. It's four words, Hunt Her, Kill Her. Because there was a new movie this year that came out that was called Hunter Killer, you know, two words. So it's not that Shudder one, then? No, it is absolutely <laughs> not. 
It is. I I talked about it uh, again. I talked about it on the main show after I saw it. It's about a woman who starts a job at a warehouse. Uh, She works the overnight shift and she's alone. It's her first night on the job and she's alone in this giant warehouse. And the warehouse is attacked by a group of men. And I'm just going to leave it alone. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, it's a great slasher that literally got no love this year. I, I put this movie up on the same pedestal that I put, um, oh shit, uh, You're Next from 2011. I fucking love You're Next. And that might be why I love this movie so much. But yeah, folks, it's a very low budget, um, obviously no one's talked about it. Like even with nefarious, at least I could say I heard Dave Z talking about it. No one has talked about this movie. And I feel that that's a little criminal because this was one of the more fun slashers of the year. So if you can find it, I don't know if it's available anywhere, if it's streaming, I've never seen it drop on any streaming apps. So I would imagine it should be up there on VOD somewhere, but yeah, if you can find it, I recommend it. Hunt her, kill her. Check it out. Otherwise, yeah, everything that we've talked about is really, really, uh, you know, really good. All the honorable mentions, um, that's the only one that I really wanted to point out because all my other honorable mentions have already been discussed. But, yeah, I always feel I always feel higher on a year after we do our top ten list because it reminds me of all the great stuff that we got in 2023. I can't call 2023 a weak year in horror when it gave us When Evil Lurks, Godzilla Minus One, Nefarious, Brooklyn 45, ZOM 100, are you kidding me? I'm not going to call that year a weak year in horror. If you think it's a weak year in horror, I don't know. Maybe you don't watch as much horror as we do. Uh, Maybe you only watch theatrical horror, which if that's the case, admittedly, yeah, this maybe wasn't the greatest year for theatrical horror, though we still did get a lot of great surprises in the theaters, like Saw and Evil Dead and, you know, Thanksgiving especially. But, um, I, you know... I, like I said at the beginning of the show, I hate to be a naysayer and say that a year is weak. I, I'm not going to call this year weak. As I look at my top ten, every fucking movie on here is great, including my honorable mentions. So, yeah, it is not a weak year in horror. You're just not doing your due diligence. <laughs> Sorry if I offended anyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're closing in on almost three hours, which – it's a, yeah, it's a big cut of freshness. But now wow. all these movies are these movies are no longer fresh, I guess, by our standards. So oh. it's time to close the chapter officially on 2023. We'll probably have our, I guess, our first official 2024 episode coming soon. Uh, Night Swim was the theatrical release. Uh, Let's just say we probably well I actually that's not saying anything um yeah okay we won't say anything about it yet but uh, so we got that and then I think this Friday coming up Shutter is releasing Destroy All Neighbors um so we got our first couple 2024s already set um, but with that uh, thanks everyone it's 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 been another year. And technically, I mean, this is being recorded in 2024, so it's the start of another year. Usually top ten shows are fun for people to listen to. I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to a whole lot more. Like I said at the beginning of this one, I've only listened to a couple that have been put out there. Um, 
and looking forward to more because I I am very curious because I I feel like especially obviously in the greater extended horror community but especially with the people we kind of know and we do a lot of like uh, collaborating with I have a feeling like I know what a lot of people's like top two or three are going to be but I think it's the type of year where once you get to like six through ten and then the people that do more than ten I feel like that's where like I'm very curious to see like where movies land for everyone because Venom to your point like I don't necessarily think it was like a bad year in horror I just think it's one of those years where like a lot of movies are kind of going to be sandwiched together with like as far as like how high or low or middle they're rated um so I'm just looking forward to see where people have movies on their list or what What'll surprise me on the list? Well, what'll surprise me that's not on the list? Um, so I'm looking forward to all the shows that'll be getting released in the next couple of weeks. But, uh, yeah. With that said, thank you everybody for listening. We officially begin another year in a few days from now, sometime later this week. And uh, with that, and I'm done. Let's say bye to our listeners. Later. Adios, my friends. Enjoy the giant lizards and uh, possessed uh, gross people and and uh, World War II survivors and everything else that 2023 had to offer. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed Fresh Cuts in 2023 and uh, definitely looking forward to another solid year of movies. Hopefully a little bit of an upswing, but otherwise uh, I'm sure we'll find those hidden gems like we do every year. So. Thanks for joining us, and uh, I guess see you in 2024, even though it already is. But <laughs> See you later <laughs> in 2024. There you go. <laughs> Peace.